does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Okay, so Jimmy, here's my fair warning of the day on this Indiana-Purdue day, which is always one of my favorite days of the year, right? i got to get my little windscreen over the microphone here. Hang on just a second. Thank you for the context it, of what's happening. I was worried. Well, I'm letting people on our YouTube chat know what's going on. Do I sound different now, now that the windscreen's over my microphone? You sound crystal clear now. I hope people understand the fact that I bring in my own windscreen and put it on there because the last thing I want is to be talking into something that Andy Sweeney was screaming all over like four hours ago. It was like you were doing ASMR there as you were putting it on. You were tapping the microphone. Do you like that? Well, I do. Uh, I did not, personally. (laughs) So maybe it's because Indiana and Purdue are playing today or tonight. Maybe it's because I was still like reeling from watching the Pacers try to get their footing in Salt Lake City. Maybe it's because I was trying to cleanse my palate after watching that horrific NFL game last night between which one? Tampa and Philly. <laughs> the Buffalo game at least had some decent highlights. I, I I guess you know Baker Mayfield played well, give him credit. Um maybe it's because I was trying to process in my brain that there have only been three franchises in the history of the National Football League to have a winless season, and two of them are playing against each other in the divisional round. Or maybe it's because I was trying to process that there are still people when it comes to the Colts that are giving Chris Ballard a free pass because Andrew Luck retired on him, but of the eight teams left in the National Football League playoffs, five of them are playing with quarterbacks that they have acquired since Andrew Luck retired. And are still alive, right? Wow. But for whatever reason last night, I went to bed relatively early because I had a monster day today. And this always happens to me when I have a monster day planned. But I went to bed, I say early, like for me early, like 1245. Sound asleep. And I wake up like a an electric jolt goes through me. And I'm thinking to myself, it's probably like time to get up. Body natural clock activating totally. for you. Sure. Like wide awake. Yeah. Could have gone and run a mile outside, right? Yeah. But I look over at my phone to see what time it is. And I have like three different clocks in my room, but but I look over at my phone next to me. <laughs> Two forty five, right? <laughs> but here's the bigger thing. But it says your battery is low. I'm like, well, it's plugged in. So then I'm like, wait a minute. We have things lined up for the show today. Brian Cardinal going to join us today, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, his number's in my phone. So I've got to, you know, if the phone dies and then I've got to do something after the show today, work-related, that I need my phone to do. And I'm like, if my phone's dead and I'm not going to have time to go get it fixed, like if the charging – so I'm plugging it in. And you ever have this where you plug your phone in and it charges for like a split second and then it quits charging? Yes. So I'm like, wait a minute, my charging port is broken on my phone, and I don't have time to fix it today. So I'm like, so my phone's going to be out of commission, battery dead, it's going to be a brick today, but my lifeline for like three different things I have to do, more important than anything else, is today. So I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 
with like tacky putty cleaning out the <laughs> the the port section, the charging port of my phone, and then using like a small toothpick to get like dust and lint out of it, which actually ended up working. And eventually, after a reset. I got that going. So it was indeed the port. It wasn't the wire. Because sometimes correct. you have that internal debate. No, of, is it correct. the port or is it the charging port? I, it was the port. Well, okay. I, I changed wires to be able to, to determine All right, that, okay. right? All right. And then I realize it's like 100 degrees inside, which don't get me wrong. I'm glad because it's like freezing outside, right? But like, I and I have, I live in an old residence. So I have old school, and it works well, radiator steam heat. But I've got all the valves closed all the way, and it still was like 100 degrees in there. So now I'm like sweating. I could. So my point being, total sleep deprivation Tuesday. I, I think I got two hours of sleep. I sat there and stared at the ceiling. And this happens to me like five or ten times a year, where then you start battling the clock, right? It's the worst. Oh, yeah. you're, looking, you're like, okay, if I fall asleep right now, I get four hours of sleep. If I fall asleep right now, ready and go. It's just the worst. Yeah, that happens to me for big days, travel days, where like maybe you have an early flight at like 6 a.m. and you're like, okay, I'm going to try to go to bed early, but it actually ends up working against you where your brain is like, okay, only five hours of sleep now, only four hours of sleep you're going to oh, get now. Yeah, it's terrible. But a uh, lot to talk about today, and I'm excited to have, um, this was my thought process. <clears throat> In the true spirit of this rivalry game between Indiana and Purdue, and there's a ton to talk about. Indiana comes in, Mike Woodson, 3-1 and one against Purdue. Indiana sweeps him a year ago after Purdue owned Indiana forever. Jalen Hood, Shafino, dynamic at Mackey the last time these two teams played. Now Indiana has a freshman in McKenzie and Baco that is starting to come into his own. And then, of course, you've got some frontline players that are good, but the best player in the frontline in college basketball is at Purdue. Purdue, highly ranked, obviously, coming in, nearly a double-digit favorite. Indiana at home, crowd's going to be amped up. Like, I love the rivalry Indiana-Purdue. So many storylines. And I thought what would be fun would be to to have a Purdue, a former Purdue great on that Indiana fans hated but truly kind of liked, and then try to get an Indiana guy that Purdue fans hated but deep down kind of liked. So, went with Brian Cardinal for Purdue. The custodian. Who was a great player at Purdue. And I think Indiana fans, you talk to Indiana fans, and they're like, man, I hate Brian Cardinal. Why do you hate him? Well, because he he does everything I like. Right? Exactly. Yes. And he's a good dude. So, he's very in touch with what Purdue does you know, with his team, so it's good to have him on, but just to get his perspective, but also get just kind of some of his fun of the rivalry, I guess. So, he's going to join us at 1230 today. And then I thought the perfect Hoosier for this. And I was stunned by this, Jimmy. Stunned by this. And maybe people listening that are fans of Indiana are going to hear me when I say this and say, you are a total moron, Jake. Wouldn't be the first time I've heard that. Maybe I should have known this forever, right? But who would you say? Who would you say is the... Who would you say is the most disliked Indiana player of the last 15 or 20 years by Purdue fans? Will Sheehy. Bingo. Right? Yeah. 
I didn't know how modern we were going to go with that, but yes, Will Sheehy would be my answer. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get on Will Sheehy. We're going to get Will Sheehy on the show, right? Okay. So I ask a couple of people, hey, do you have contact information for Will Sheehy? Now, was this a 3 a.m. last night type of text? No, or was this, this was say, yesterday. Okay, right, maybe it was in the uh, Within battle. decent hours. Okay. okay. All right. And so I'm asking around, and I just figured, nothing against Will Sheehy at all. The wonderful player at Indiana. But I figured Will Sheehy now probably is like selling pharmaceuticals living in Fort Wayne or something, right? I thought I just can't be that hard. Do either one of you guys know what Will Sheehy's doing now without looking it up? I do not. I would say still playing somewhere. Fair guess. Eddie? Is he doing real estate? Also, selling real excellent estate? guess, right? Excellent guess. I had no idea of this. Will Sheehy's on the staff of the Golden State Warriors. Oh, wow. So I reached out to IU, and I'm like, do you have a number for Will Sheehy? And they're like, well, yeah, but it's going to be hard because he's on staff for the Golden State Warriors. Like, Wait, what? So that's what Will Sheehy's doing. So Will Sheehy Good not going to come that's on. That's awesome. But anyway, so then earlier today I was talking to Leary, and I'm like, all right, we'll get you on. So Leary's coming on at 1 o'clock, and it's, you know Todd Leary goes to Indiana practices, so he's got a pretty good eye on what Indiana's going to expect. So we'll talk to Todd as well. Stephen Holder going to join us at 2 o'clock today. So a lot to talk about uh, over the next couple of hours. And I thought it'd be fun also, at some point, I want to hear from members of the company, employees of the company. So this is Query Company. Eddie Garrison, who you hear typing feverishly over there, is writing a book. He's the CEO, so he's writing a book actually about leadership and business. He's the CEO of the company running the board for us. Jimmy Cook is the president of the company. Um, I have no title, but... I think chairman of the board is what we decided on. Chairman of the board. Okay. I think I told you my my intramural basketball team was chairman of the boards. Um, I want to know from fans, Indiana and Purdue fans both... What you most hate about the other one, what player, what moment, what what thing in the rivalry, and I mean, keep it playful, obviously, but what what typifies the rivalry for you? Like, when did you know it was a rivalry? For me, I can tell you, I loved, when I, growing up in Indiana, I loved Indiana-Purdue game days because, like, the, the local news would be live, like, from Bloomington or Lafayette, and they're interviewing fans. And I couldn't stand Purdue, partially because in the early to mid-80s, every game at Mackey Arena was super dark. Like, the lighting was terrible on television. So it just created this, like, dark, somber, hard-to-watch, gloomy mood and atmosphere. And then Gene Cady looked so much like Purdue Pete himself and always seemed angry, which is weird because I was a Bob Knight fan. So I Bob Knight was the guy that actually was angry all the time. And Gene Cady's like the most fun-loving, awesome dude ever. Like you can't help but love Gene Cady, right? But as a kid, you know, Gene Cady would get angry and that scowl and everything else, and it made me so mad because Bob Knight got all the negative headlines, and Gene Cady, I was like, Gene Cady yells just as much as Bob Knight does, etc. But it was that dark, dreary, drab Mackey Arena that drove me nuts. And then it was always so loud. And, and my favorite IU teams would go in there and just struggle and get beat. And, like, watching those Purdue players 
Doug Lee and Mel McCants and Jim Rowinski and Steve Scheffler just irked me. But I think that for Indiana and Purdue fans, and you know, and to, and then I grew to appreciate Purdue and Jerron Cornell and Chad Austin and Robbie Hummel and Isaac Haas and Jawan Johnson. You know, they've had great players that are fun to watch, and you know, and obviously the run that they've had lately. I mean, Ryan Klein still is hitting threes against Tennessee. You know, all those things are fun, right? So I'm I'm thankful now that I see it objectively so that I can enjoy the merits of both teams because I really do see it objectively. I mean, I don't really have a rooting interest. I enjoy both teams. But I'm sure Purdue fans, goes without saying, hated Bob Knight and hearing about Damon Bailey all the time and, you know, Calvert Chaney, and I'm sure they didn't like Alford and on and on and on. But I'd love to know from people, like, what was the moment that you realized that they were different? that the other team was different than Michigan State or Michigan or Minnesota. So, Jimmy, for you, you went to Indiana, right? I did. Did you grow up an IU fan, or did you I, just go there because... No, I, I I did grow up an Indiana fan. It was kind of a not a split household in terms of Purdue-IU, but like a lot of my relatives went to Indiana. My dad went to Butler, and I know there's some, not rivalry, but there's some animosity towards Butler and IU fans because they've had some classic matchups in my lifetime, especially when the Crossroads Classic went down. But no, I, an IU fan through and through, yes. Uh, For me, in in terms of the pettiness of the rivalry, like I didn't realize until middle school, like that the whole IU sucks chant when IU and Purdue aren't playing, it just irks me because it seems pointless. Like it's it's a poster child of another organization, or in this case, your biggest rival living in your head. That always bugged me. And I'll be honest with you, as a student at Indiana, did not go great for me. One of my best friends is a Purdue fan from pretty much my entire college career. Purdue won 12 of 13 meetings. Not my entire college career, but for part of it. And then that extends until Mike Woodson got there. And now I use one three the last four. But that, uh, the rotation and the evolution of Matt Painter's ability to just develop in a lab, a lab, excuse me, big men, Matt Harms, Isaac Haas, now Zach Eady. Like, it's just a revolving door of you know that Purdue is going to be well-disciplined and they're going to have a big body down low that's going to be able to work with the best of you. Like, this is recent history, but it's been five years since Matt Harms had a tip-in at the buzzer when IU was still kind of looking for that win over Purdue, and he tips one in Assembly Hall that seals the deal. Like, it's just, there's moments for everybody, but for me in, like, recent history, there's always been that bad blood, but just... It's extra special for me because it hasn't been the story of, oh, Indiana's going to dominate this series. No, it has been Purdue for the better part of my lifetime, especially the last 10, 15 years that have been the driver of this series. I think for a lot of people, for Indiana fans at least, of my era, Todd Foster, I mean, seeing Todd Foster like dancing on the, the, the eye in the middle of the floor like drew the ire of a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, it's great though. Like that's and like, you know, I even get a kick out of people that, like, in a workplace that just like refuse to, you know, like, oh, you know, my buddy that I work with, he's a Purdue guy. Like, I know people. I honestly, now I'm not saying any names here. Okay. True story. 
So Shannon has a friend that is a diehard Indiana fan, like the biggest diehard fan, not only just diehard Indiana fan, but the biggest diehard fan of any team I've ever met, okay? Several years ago, Purdue was playing, I think, in the tournament against Florida when Florida was number one. The Joe Kim Noah, that group, Teddy Dupay, I think, was on the team. I think it was in the tournament. But we're going to a Pacer game, and Shannon's friend, who shall remain nameless because I don't want to call anybody out, she, she says to me, what do you think is going to happen to Purdue tonight? And I said, I'll be honest with you. I, I think they match up really well with them, and I think they could upset Florida. And she says, well, they're the number one team in the country. I said, no, I know, but I, Purdue's really good. Like, they're playing really well. They're very well coached. She didn't talk to me for like a year and a half. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. I, and, and I'm like, did I do something to make her mad? And Shannon's like, well, I mean, you, you were really complimentary at Purdue that one time. Like that's why I love sports, right there. Totally, it's beautiful, unbelievable, right? So I'm fired up for it. I mean, we'll talk about the Bucks and the Eagles, Nick Sirianni. You know what? I mean, how much did they miss Shane Steichen in Philly? Is that it, or was Jalen Hurts just hurt, or did Philly, did Nick Sirianni's act just run tired? You know, we'll get to that over the course of today. Obviously, the Bills and the Steelers. I. My buddy Garrison Carr made a really good point about Josh Allen's touchdown run where he's like, dude, I think that the people, I think guys just didn't want to hit him because it was too cold out. It's just too cold. People were like, yeah, okay, go ahead and go. I thought he, the run was still impressive. And the second time I watched it, I wasn't as strongly on this take. I thought they were worried about him sliding. And so when he does that little hezzy move, which wasn't as blatant as there was a college football player two years ago that I can't remember the Kenny name. Kenny Pickett. It wasn't Pickett, really? That's yes. hilarious. Kenny Pickett would do the thing where he would go down like it was a fake sliding motion and keep running. With little hands. With little hands. With little hands. Exactly. You know, you know, in that game yesterday, you know what he was on the sidelines wearing? Little gloves. Little gloves. Exactly. Little but but that was that got banned from college football, faking giving yourself up because they thought it was an unfair advantage to the offense. And he didn't do it that demonstratively, but I thought the way he stopped froze he the did Pittsburgh do defense. That juke, right? And they were like, oh, we don't want to dive in because we're going to have a penalty for it. And then it was too late. Like, we don't want to dive in because the, the cold ground is like too. cement sure, and it's sure. 10 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, our coworker Todd Meyer, Purdue fan, says, I-, I don't like the reversible jacket IU fans. I get it, right? <laughs> yeah, totally I, get it. I, I embrace that role. I'm sorry. The Walmart, I, that's my the cape. Walmart IU fans, I get it. That is my cape. I wear that with pride. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Grant. On Indiana Purdue Day. Grant, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today, Jake? You know I can't complain. Grant, have you ever been to Grant County? Uh, Maybe. Where is that at? North or south? Uh, Grant County would be Marion. Yeah, so north. Okay. I can't say I have. Fairmount, and, uh, Fairmount Gas City, and Marion, all in Grant County. Uh, I just I figured you. when yeah, you were I'm in from, high school, I'm you would from... have been tempted to go out and borrow the sign that says, Welcome to Grant County. No, that's fair. I have a few Grant signs, just not from Grant County. I'm from uh, I'm from Seymour, uh, Indiana, Jackson County. Okay, fair Indiana, enough. So. All right, so yeah. IU or Purdue, which one's your team? Let me ask. We'll begin with that. Yeah. So so right now it is Purdue. Um, I went to Purdue. I grew up an IU person. I have twin older sisters who are alums of IU. My mom's an alum of IU. My parents were first row of the balcony IU Purdue when night through the chair, uh, and then I went to Purdue for engineering. So. Um, I've got a very unique uh, kind of perspective on it. And then to add, add on to it, I'm getting married in June. My fiance's family are through and through Hoosiers, so we have Ooh. some fun with it. Split yeah. house, huh? Yeah. 
So okay, so by well, going by going to Purdue though, so you grew up an Indiana fan, right? Correct. And see, Grant, here's what I love about your story, and I've always said this. I I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact how lucky we are in Indiana to have two state universities that are so acclaimed in the two different areas of interest, right? Whether you're math and science or you're like an English, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. From an engineering and, and standpoint, have, both have their their strong totally. That, like totally. I always left people like one or it's like you want to do this, go to Purdue. If you want to do that, Correct. go to IU. Like both are great. So how far into your time at Purdue, how far into your time at Purdue did you completely realize that you had made the acclamation to being Boiler Up? Yeah, so it was probably end of freshman year. And so I went to Purdue. I graduated 2016. So my freshman year at Purdue was the, uh, the quote unquote, the movement when Zeller and Yogi Ferrell were all there. So like, I was, you know, middle school, high school was like watching IU in the terrible times. And then they finally were good. And all of a sudden it was like, well, now I'm going to Purdue. So it was kind of rooting halfway in between. And then sophomore year, I would say we were full on black and gold. And um, yeah, went from there. Now, when when is the wedding? Wedding is June 1st. Do I get invited to the wedding? Can I come to the wedding? I, I'm a great – I'll bring Shannon. We like wedding cake, but we, we won't eat cake. We won't eat dinner, so they're not going against your tab. But can I invite myself to your wedding? Is that rude? No, that's not rude. You can invite, <laughs> you can invite under, the, under the stipulation of you have to do our wedding party intro. Oh, I could do that. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. Did the uh, fiancé go to uh, Purdue? Uh, she did not. So she is kind of a, a neutral third party. So she actually played basketball in college, okay. uh, Coastal Carolina. So – uh, still loves her hoops, but are they the uh, Chanticleers? Yeah, What's Coastal Carolina's they the, name? They are the Chanticleers. Okay. Uh, they have the the teal and gold, the surf turf, as they call it down there in Myrtle Beach. Um, so yeah. Listen, I want dur- during the wedding introductions, I want her swinging in from the lights so that I can say, "Ladies and gentlemen, please now pay attention to swinging from the Chanticleer." The Chandelier is the Chanticleer. That's what I'll do, right? <laughs> But I'll try not to make it sound like we're at a strip club. All right, Grant. Okay. You let me know when the wedding invitation and where I need to be. I'll do the introductions for you. I'm I'm actually, uh, I'm not really inviting myself, folks, to his wedding. I'm probably going to be out of town for an IndyCar race, but much appreciated. All right, let's go to Doug. Eddie on line number two. Doug, what is going on? Hey, what's going on, man? Not a lot. How are you? IU or Purdue guy? Which are you, Doug? I'm an IU guy. Okay. Born and raised. I was never allowed to root for Purdue. And it was for one one reason and one reason only. They ain't never won nothing. I don't understand <laughs> why people around here now, hold on. can argue with me. What was this? What, did you say Doug, how old are you? Let me ask you this. How old a guy oh, are you? I'm, uh, I'm, thir- I'm 38 years old. Because, uh, Doug, here, okay, so 38, 38 years old. I was born old. in the crust. What of, year were you born? 86? Okay, yeah, so here's so the thing. I, yeah, I get what you're saying, and I'm playing devil's advocate, Doug, because I grew up a huge Indiana fan, right? I could tell you, 1985 was the year that Bob Knight threw the chair that was the losingest season of Bob Knight's 29 years in Indiana, on and on and on, right? I get it. So, Doug, but here's the thing. I get what you're saying about Purdue, but at the same time, to be fair, Indiana's only won one national title in your lifetime. You likely don't remember it because you would have been like 18 I, I months actually, old. I actually do remember it. No, no, hold on. No, hold on, Doug. Two. I remember. I was two. Yeah. So what? When is your birthday, Doug? What month? March nineteenth. Okay, so so yeah, you're right. You were two years old and and twelve days, right? I um, remember. So what yeah. do you most remember about Keith Smart's shot? Tell me what you remember. 
we were over a, a lady's house we went to church with. And my dad made me sit down because I kept running around the house. He made me sit down <laughs> and watch IU. Okay. And he was telling, and he told me why I had to sit there and watch it. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay, that's okay. I'll give you credit then. I'll give you credit if you remember that. Hey, yeah, I remember, man. Okay. But yeah, that's my that's my biggest issue. They've never won anything. I'm gonna say that over and over again to any Purdue fan out there. You've never won anything. So I don't understand why they talk to me. They talk down to me because right now they have a pretty good team. I mean, if they win something, I'll shut up. But until they what about do, Big Ten titles? Does that count? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I appreciate it, Doug. I appreciate it. I was going to ask if he know knew who dished to Keith Smart. That's a pretty good trivia question to know. Um, if he knew, if he remembers who dished it to Smart, although you could watch it today on YouTube a hundred times, I realize. All right, we'll squeeze in one more before we get to Brian Cardinal on the other side. Aaron. Aaron, what's up? Hey, Jake. How are you? I am fine. Yourself? I'm doing great, man. What a great day to, to be a part of this rivalry. All right, Aaron, you grew up with which one, Indiana or Purdue? I was born within a week of the chair throwing incident, and I grew up a Purdue fan. Now, are you like Doug? Do you remember it? You're like, I was a week old, but I remember it like yesterday. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> okay. So wait a minute. You said you're a fan of which one now? You s- I, I'm a graduate of Purdue, been a lifelong Purdue fan. Okay. Tell me the Indiana player you most disliked. Uh, for me, well, so Will Sheehy. I, for, I, that's the guy I want to have on my team, but I can't stand him. Okay. So the other side of it, which may be the same answer, Aaron, is tell me the Indiana guy that even though he played for Indiana, you couldn't deny the fact that you enjoyed watching him play, and you're like, that guy's a great player. Uh, I, I, I guess I'd go with on the depot. Okay, that's I mean, fair. There were some older ones. That, you know, I had a, a lot of my friends were IU fans uh, when I was younger, um, and there's, I'm sure there were some older there's some older players back in the '90s that I could have said the same thing, but they're not coming to the top of did my mind. Did you not like right Will now. Sheehy because he flexed, or did you not like him because deep down you knew he was actually a pretty good looking dude, and the girls at Purdue probably all liked him? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there we go, Aaron. I appreciate it. We got to run to get to Brian Cardle, but but I appreciate it. We'll continue doing that over the course of today. Brian Cardinal's next. Brian Cardinal going to join us here in just a couple minutes or scheduled to do so. So we hope to catch up to the former Purdue forward. Maybe he's cleaning a floor somewhere. Entirely possible, right? After all, he is the custodian. His son's a pretty good player at uh, Garen Catholic, right? Junior, I believe. Yes. Indeed he is. How many NBA franchises can you name that Brian Cardinal played for? One right now on the spot, and that's, of course, the Mavs where he won. The 2011 NBA title. Pistons, Wiz, Warriors, Grizzlies, Wolves, and Mavs. Decent amount. Did you say we have him, Eddie? Uh, Brian Cardinal joins us now on the program. Now, Brian, I'm going to begin with this, and thanks for your time today, by the way. Um, yeah, no worries. So, now, and I think actually this is kind of cool. The reason I thought you'd be the perfect person to have on when talking about IU-Purdue rivalry is this. Every year on Twitter, I ask a question where I say, whichever fan, whichever team you're a fan of within this rivalry, tell me the player from the other school that you most hated, okay? And then I also <laughs> do one that says, 
tell me the player from the other school that deep down you truly actually kind of rooted for and you hated that they were on the other team because you really were a fan of the the way they played. And you actually are the leading vote getter for as voted by IU fans in both categories. Which which is kind of <laughs> cool, right? Right? Huh? So so which one are you more proud of? Are you more proud that you're the guy that IU fans most disliked or the guy that IU fans most respected? Oh goodness. You know what? I'll take them both. I'll take them both. I, I, uh, I, that's, that's, that's impressive that I, I make the list on both. <laughs> it is right. I mean, because you, now will Sheehy is the runaway winner. I should have asked you, who do you think is the winner that Purdue fans most vote for as their most disliked Indiana player? But I can tell you it's will oh, Sheehy. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I, I, I would think will would, will would rank up there. I mean, you know, I used to had so many great players that, that uh you know put it to purdue over the years that uh you know but yeah i'm sure will will's got to be up there so let's begin with this before we get to you know the latest installment with purdue who obviously you know matt's got him rolling and i want your thoughts on that but to go back and talk about the rivalry a little bit brian cardinal you grew up obviously in illinois around the university of illinois and then you go to purdue so like when was the point really that you as a player truly got a sense for the rivalry itself? And what is just kind of your overall recollection when you think about being involved in it as a player? Well, you know, for, for me, I, I had the, I had the unique um, opportunity to, to, to be a huge Illinois fan growing up. My dad worked at the university of Illinois as an athletic trainer for the men's basketball team. So, so I grew up around Illinois basketball, you know, 95% of my wardrobe was orange and blue. Um, and then I signed with Purdue and uh, I, I need to, I need to, you know, get rid of all those clothes. But, you know, you know, one of, one of my first memories of, of just the IU rivalry, whether it's Illinois IU or Purdue IU was when Nick Anderson hit that shot at half court. Um, I was there, man. I, let oh, me tell man. you. I, that was that was the greatest shot. Oh my god! I still get chills. I still get so, okay. chills. I, I remember watching that at home, and you know, I think it was snowy out, and I went out and I, I I practiced that shot a zillion different times. I never made one, you know, in my front yard, and uh, but that was that was spectacular. So it was that, and then it was the Lou Henson, Bobby Knight, you know, the the that rivalry, but. Once I, once I got to Purdue, um, and, and you could just feel, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's on campus at Purdue or, or at the hotel, uh, there in Bloomington, getting ready for our game, there was just a a dislike, a hatred, and you could just feel it in your bones walking on campus. You just felt differently on IU Purdue game days. I, I always thought it was interesting, Brian, and I wanted your perspective on this. And for players, I think it makes it fun. But you tell me if this is off base. You know, fans get so into the rivalry. And especially, you know, like myself growing up in Indy, right? So I had friends that went to Purdue and then I went to Indiana. So, you know, there's that we're always going back and forth. But then I found it interesting to find that that we assume as fans that the players just hate each other. And then you find out that in reality – your rivalry is rooted not necessarily in a hatred, but in the fact that a lot of those guys you probably knew from the AAU circles or elsewise, 
and you wanted bragging rights, but in reality, it was kind of good to see him before the game type thing. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. Um, yeah, I, I was a huge fan of A.J. Guyton. Loved playing against him. He grew up in Illinois, as did I. Um, you know, loved loved competing against him and just enjoy him as a person. Um, you know, growing up, I remember my dad went went to uh, went to the video guy at Illinois and said, "Hey, yeah, I, I I need I need Brian Evans cut ups of you know of how how just good he was coming off screens and making his little shot and you know and 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 then I had a chance to meet Brian Evans several years ago and that was, heck I you know even if I was an old guy like I am, I thought that was pretty cool you know <laughs> and 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 you know I played I played against Harris. Uh, I God, I forget how you even say my man's name. Um, Mia Zinovich. Yes, and I, I played against him in a in an All Star game, um, and I, I remember talking to him. Um, you know, so so you know, it's it's great from a player standpoint. You know, I think I think we get really juiced up. I think we get really excited, amped up because of the fans, right? I mean, you walk into Assembly Hall and you know everybody there really hates you or dislikes you. We'll say, we'll just say dislikes you. Yeah. So you knew um, it before I was doing Twitter surveys about it. Oh man. I, you know, I tell you, I mean, I, I did, I did, I did something a couple years ago. Maybe it was last summer or the summer before uh, when they were celebrating Chad Austin's uh, last second shots and uh, at, at, at IU at Bloomington there at the assembly hall. And, and uh, I got interviewed and, and it was kind of neat just because it, it, it dusted off a lot of memories for me. And, you know, whether I was at the free throw line and you got the whole arena chanting Rogaine, I mean, <laughs> that was that was spectacular. That was awesome. Um, you know, but there's nothing better than going to IU and, and, and getting a win. And and knowing that knowing that you came on a bus and you might have 50 to 60 Purdue fans in that whole arena and knowing that, that you and 60 others walk out of their victors, um, you know, just like, just like, if you know, when IU comes to Purdue and, and, uh, and if they win, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, there's no better feeling. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular being able to walk out of an arena knowing that everybody dislikes you, but you got, you got the win. Purdue great. Brian Cardinal is our guest. Brian, nationally, everybody wants to talk about Duke-UNC as the perennial rivalry in the sport. I I would argue that IU-Purdue is right there, if not better. What is it that has allowed this rivalry, of course, the state aspect of it being cross-state rivals, but what is it about the rivalry that's made it stand the test of time to be viewed in that light with other great rivalries in the sport? Well, you know, I I think you said, you know, the state, you know, being being in the same state is, is pretty great. Um... You know, knowing that, you know, if you grow up here, you know, you know, majority of the kids or half the kids that you grow up and, and, and graduate high school, half goes to IU, the other half goes to Purdue, we'll say, um, or, or, or we'll say, we'll say a third goes to Purdue, two thirds goes to IU, Notre Dame, you know, Butler, you know, every other school. And, and, but yet they still are still massive IU fans. And, you know, so, you know, so, so you've got, the, you have that history growing up. You've got, you know, the great Gene Cady, Bobby Knight, you know, those guys, oh my gosh. 
I mean, having those guys on the sideline walking up and down, you know, you just talk about just the intimidation factor of those guys. You know, you know those those two are the ones that really started this rivalry off. I think, um, and then and then you just have you know the success that Purdue's had. You know, the last you know however long Painter's been there. Um, you know, it just adds fuel to the fire. And you know, we we uh, you know Purdue had a long run there of just not losing to IU, and then last year you know we got beat a couple times. But you know, it's just it's 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 intense. It's fun. You know, it's, it, it, it's deep into families that, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I, I, I think it's the best rivalry in college sports, hands down. Brian, Brian Cardinal's our guest in, in today's world, right? It's, it's a different world now, but in today's world, let's say if you had, if the same things had applied when you were playing, would you have been tempted to go and get like the fifth year super senior year type thing at Illinois, would you have been tempted to to go ahead and, and once you had proven yourself as a Big Ten player, fulfill a kid dream of playing for Illinois? Oh man, you know if you think about it, if I would have went to Illinois for for my for a year, I probably I would have been twenty nine at the time. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, you know, I'm I'm so grateful for my time at Purdue. Um, you know, I can't imagine putting on any other, for me personally, I can't imagine putting on any other kind of uniform, um, representing any other school than, than Purdue. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful for my time there. It's, it's, it, uh, it was an amazing place, is an amazing place, but uh, I can't imagine going anywhere else, transferring at any other time, uh, or representing any, any other school than Purdue. Well, here's why I ask. Because in today's world, when that is common, and I'm not saying that Purdue has been completely immune to it, but there are players at Purdue right now, Brian Cardinal, in reality, that probably after last season in particular could have gone elsewhere and and elevated their role, but they all stayed, for the most part, that nucleus stayed at Purdue. You know, I'm talking about guys like a Trey Kaufman Wren or a Caleb First or even a Mason Gillis that maybe could have gone somewhere else and been the guy, right? But they but they're bought in. What is it about Matt Painter's program and Purdue that has allowed them this sort of cohesiveness and this buy-in year in and year out? Well, you know, I I, I think it starts with Painter. I think it starts with 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 the university and Coach Painter just having having a level of trust, um, you know, I think everybody, I, I think all players trust him. You know, I, you know, I think he says what he, you know, he does what he says, you know, he's honest. Um, and that's, and that's unique in, in this landscape, I think, um, you know, just, you know, trusting somebody is unique. Being honest with people is unique. Uh, and I think, I think coach painter is, is, is a great, coach on the court. I think he's a great person off the court. Um, and I, I just think what he's built there, just, you know, those two things, I think honesty and trust, you know, I, I think are critical. And, and when you're a young, when you're a young player, when you're a young kid trying to reach your goals, you know, you want to be with people that you trust that are going to push you to, to be the best that are going to push you to excel going to push you out of your comfort zone 
right? I think that's why a lot of kids transfer or leave because they get pushed out of their comfort zone. And sometimes that's okay. You know, I think that's healthy to be out of your comfort zone. And I think Coach Painter pushes kids um, out of their comfort zone because he knows that they can be even better than what they think they can be. And then when you put that together, when you put all those things together and, 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 and collectively you get in a room, you know, everybody's fighting for each other. Everybody's pushing each other and, and one through whatever um, from the you know, best player on down to, you know, the, 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 the manager, everybody's pushing for that goal, pushing to, for, for that greatness. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that's why people respect Coach Painter around the country, whether it's the NBA, whether it's college, high school, they've got a level of respect for him. Uh, and, and, and I think that's why he's had such great success. Brian Cardinal is our guest. Brian, I want to turn the clocks back to 2011. You and the Dallas Mavericks have just closed out the Miami Heat in six games to win the NBA Finals. You're popping champagne. You're celebrating. Dirk's finally got his ring. You yourself have a championship ring. And I want to fast forward to April of this year. And let's say that the, in terms of not unthinkable, but the Boilermakers have been able to push aside their early round struggles and they've made it to the top of the mountain. I get it. It's different because you're not a player in this instance, but if you could put yourself in future Brian Cardinal's shoes and that happens, how do you imagine that feeling would compare to actually winning an NBA title, seeing your alma mater finally win a national championship? Oh, it'd be, it'd be incredible. It'd be incredible. You know, you know, the great thing that, that coach Painter's done, I think for, uh, all former players is is he's allowed us, you know, to stay connected with the team. He's allowed us to, um, or, or he's given us a platform to stay connected. He's 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 given us that that um, you know that family atmosphere. You know, we're 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 all a part of that family. We're you know, it doesn't matter how old you are or how many minutes you played. Once you put on that Purdue uniform, you're you're part of that family forever. And you know, if we're able to get there. Uh, if we're able to win a championship, you know, it'll be just like, you know, I was playing. It, it, it would be incredible. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think all former players, I think coach Painter included, uh, you know, we all want to get to the final four. We all want to win a championship. Uh, you know, really, I, I, I want to get to a championship, you know, for, for coach Katie. Um, you know, he, he's meant the world to me. He's meant the world to so many, you know, former players, to Coach Painter. Um, and, and I would love to be able to see him get, get on that court, you know, hoist that trophy or stand next to that trophy. Um, you know, that, that, would be, that would be the highlight, you know, beyond you know, all highlights, to be able to see Coach Katie be able to be a part of a championship team, part of a championship program. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm rooting for. And, uh, you know, that's, 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 you know, that's what I, I envision at the end of the day when we win this championship, that uh, Coach Katie will be celebrated, Coach Painter, Painter will be celebrated. Um, so that's, that's what I'm hoping for. What will it take, Brian? I mean, it, you know, listen, they got a great team. Zach Eady's a great player. They have good supporting cast. Um, the two games that Purdue has lost this year – team shot the lights out and I don't know that Indiana has the outside shooting to do that but what would be for tonight what's Purdue going to have to do to win this game and then what does need to change 
in March to get them past that hump? Well, I think, you know, I think, I think for tonight's game, you know, you know, you, I think you can look at what Purdue's done, you know, up into this game and you can throw it out the, out the window. I think you can look at what IU's done or hasn't done up into this game and throw it out. Once you get into that arena, once you get, you know, jump ball, you know, fans are chanting, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be intense. It's going to be awesome. The atmosphere is going to be great and you're just going to have to play. And, you know, you know, we get everybody's best shot and I'm anticipating IU giving us the same, um, you know, the same challenges that, that the other teams have, you know, I'm anticipating they're going to shoot better. I'm, I'm anticipating they're going to shoot well. Um, but, you know, I think, I think Purdue just does what they can do. You know, if they control what they can control, um, you know, I, I think I think they're going to have have a great game, have great success, and and that's what's tough, right? I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of times people get judged judged on their last game. Um, you know, we've had great seasons the last several years, but we've gotten beaten the, you know, you know, first game in the NCAA tournament, so you get judged on that. You know, you know, in order for us to to make it to the final four, in order for us to win a championship. We're going to have to play special. We're going to have to. We're going to have to do something that that uh, somebody's going to have to step up. Somebody's going to have to knock down shots. We're going to have to make it uncomfortable for other teams because we're going to get everybody's best shot. You know, I think Coach Painter ha- ha- made the comment the other day that you know, you know, Purdue doesn't have you know, you know, the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors on Purdue's team. Uh, anytime they've lost on the road, there's been a court storming. You know, and I mean, that's pretty impressive. It's the ultimate compliment, really, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you think about it, I mean, that's pretty impressive. You know, know, Purdue's been at that level for the last several years. And when we do get beat, because it happens, you know, it's, it's it's pretty sensational for the other team and the students and the fans. But, you know, tonight's going to be no different than, than, than the last couple games. You know, the last, you know, you know, Purdue's thinking about, you know, getting beat there last year. Fans are thinking about it. That's going to bring an extra level of uh, of excitement, of energy. But if Purdue, you know, if if Purdue does what they, you know, what they're supposed to do, you know, feed Edie, you know, you know, he's going to have a presence. We can knock down shots. You know, we've got a talented team like we have in the past. We just we we need we need to we need to have a special night. Lastly, Brian Brian Cardinals, our guest, the former Purdue great. Um, when I had reached out to you about coming on here, and we, we, we went back and forth for a second just about the game tonight, you said something interesting to me, and I wanted you to elaborate on it. And that was that you mentioned, you said, you know what, Jake, I, I love Bobby Knight. And I know that Bob Knight had a very close relationship with Gene Cady that was probably, to a lot of people, uh, that peak behind the curtain came for both gentlemen in their later years, right? Where we realized that they actually were great friends despite their competition. And they had a special bond, really. Is that the origin of your love for Bob Knight or does it go back to the days of competing against him? Well, I think, I think it goes back to, you know, the first moments of just seeing him on the sideline. Right. I mean, growing up, seeing, seeing his intensity, um, seeing his fiery spirit on the sideline. You know, I love that. Uh, I love that about coach Katie. I loved being coached by coach Katie because he had that attitude. He had that mentality um, but you know, so did coach Knight and then, and then fast forward, then having, you know, having a chance to play at Purdue, having a chance to compete against coach Knight, 
um, you know, was even more special. You know, after after every game, whether win or lose, I made a point to go over and and and, and you know either congratulate him or, or wish him luck the rest of the year, um, just because I respected you know him as a coach. You know, you know the things that that he was able to do. You know, to get you know on the court, the championships that he's won. Um, you know, I just I, I I enjoy I enjoyed that part of it. I you know I enjoyed talking to him. Um, you know, I've got a great picture, you know, coach Knight and coach, uh, coach Katie, uh, were celebrated several, many years ago in Chicago in a big black tie affair. And it was awesome. And I have a picture between coach, coach Knight and coach Katie. Um, uh, you know, I just, I just enjoyed competing against him because I, I knew he was going to give his, his all. Um, and, and, and I, I was going to give my best effort. And uh, fortunately, I, I, I won more than I lost against against them. Um, but that was that was just, that was uh, just a special moment, and and grateful for those times. Brian, I assume you've got a key ring with like 150 keys on it because every janitor does, right? Um, but I appreciate you kind of unlocking the memories for us, and and also a glimpse for tonight in this game between Purdue and Indiana. Uh, pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate the perspectives, and certainly appreciate your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Brian, Brian Cardinal, uh, of course, a legend for the Purdue Boilermakers. Todd Leary texted me during the interview. said, I'm listening right now. I have rebuttals. I said, all right, fine. As he should. Fine. So Todd's going to join us at 2.30. We'll get his side of it. And we'll continue talking not only about this rivalry, but uh, NFL as well. Stephen Holder going to join us on the program. Pacers last night disappointing in Salt Lake. Uh, clearly, I think Rick Carlisle just said, you know what? Back to back. We're down double digits. We're going to rest some people. Scott Agnes joins us today to talk about that as well. So update on the Australians, my buddy Michael and his crew that have flown in from Australia to go to the Pacers West Coast road trip. He texted me last night and said, man, Salt Lake City is absolutely stunning. You're from Australia, so you're seeing like snow-capped mountains all around you, right? He's like, it is absolutely stunning. What was not was the game. He goes, look, I, I flew all the way from Australia to see Tyrese Halliburton, and I'm seeing Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard. I'm like, well, I, you know, that's them's the breaks, right? I mean, you just never know how things go in the NBA. Why didn't anybody tell Rick? I don't but, understand. Why, why was that not right. addressed to Well, him? he met Rick. He went down and saw Rick before the game in Denver. <laughs> so Rick knows he's there, but um, there were some different wrinkles and different looks to the Pacers last night, despite the fact they lost, and Scott Agnes will join us next to talk about exactly that. Just so you're, in case you're wondering, for those keeping score at home, this song was requested by Jimmy Cook, not Tony Dungy. Just so you know. <laughs> just to be clear. It was absolutely right? not requested by Tony Dungy. We cannot confirm nor deny if Jimmy Cook put this request in, but it definitely was not requested by the legend Tony Dungy. By the way, like, I don't know him personally, but I love Coach Dungy. I have a great admiration for him. It's tough to have that quote and then find out Per the release from NBC, well, for, that for 23 folks, million people streamed that Dolphins Chiefs game on Peacock. Give the context. I apologize for jumping yeah, that. Yeah, for people that don't know, Tony Dungy had said that he believes that there is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that people are getting a lack of, a declining lack of interest in the NFL because of things like Taylor Swift. 23 million people streamed Dolphins Chiefs. I would say the opposite. To me... Taylor Swift's ubiquitous nature at NFL games 
and and people disagree with me when I say this, which because I know she's a juggernaut. But to me, it more I'm not going to say it, it impact or that it affects negatively her popularity, but it more normalizes her. Whereas before, part of her allure was like her the her kind of vague nature like her her she was very enigmatic and now she's like very out there which kind of more normalizes her and just makes people more less i think enthusiastic about it all because it's just kind of always there now let's see how it impacts right? ticket sales next time she's a uh, again I don't i'm think not it's talking gonna about I don't i'm not like talking it. about ticket sales i'm just saying sure. the allure of her i think for so many people the allure of taylor swift was the fact that like there was this kind of imagery of this. She was kind of this enigma sure. that you didn't see a lot because because she's a brilliant songwriter, and it was like she's just like in the lab coming up with these brilliant songs and then coming out. But the fact that the fact that she was somebody that I think a lot of girls could relate to because they saw her as also like the normal girl next door that didn't necessarily always have a boyfriend and just kind of kept her nose to the grind and did what she needed to do. And then now that she's got like the the really good looking, you know, NFL stud and she's going to the games and she's sitting in the suites and everything else, it makes her a little less of that relatability to young girl, I, to some people. I, I don't think it's going to hurt her, her global impact. She's obviously a, a, a huge brand. Um but I don't agree with Tony Dungy in that regard also at the same time. Uh, last night, Pacers in Salt Lake City uh, got away from them. Once it got into like the probably, you know, 15, 20-point range, I think Rick Carlisle realized, look, back-to-backs, I'm going to clear the bench out, and, and a good chance to get some young guys that we haven't seen a lot, uh, some minutes, and, and just get acclimated, not to the altitude, but to the NBA. Joining us now from Fieldhouse Files, Scott Agnes joins us on the program. And, Scott, I'll begin with that. Uh, let's go with Jarris Walker. That was the first time that we've seen really extensive minutes. I did not think he shot the ball well, but he did show some glimpses in terms of a good basketball sense, if that makes sense. Let's begin with your critique of Jarris Walker's play. Yeah, I know it's, it's something a lot of Pacer fans have been clamoring for. They've been wanting to see a little bit more action from the Pacers lottery pick. And so that was the, that was the one bonus from last night. But the shots not falling like they didn't, um, I think it's more of a – it's not typical. Why I say that is because I've been watching him in all these G League games recently, and that's been among his best features. On top of that, he's still coming back from an illness. He didn't get, join the team on the road trip. So some of those things you understand. But the biggest aspect of your game, his game you got to like, is his vision, is his passing ability, and kind of some of those instincts, especially defensively. Like we saw him – uh, find a corner pass. We saw him poke it away from a, a player to, from behind, setting up a transition dunk for himself. Those are little aspects of his game uh, that we were able to get a glimpse of last night. Because one thing I try to try to reemphasize is he's just one year out of college. He's only twenty. He his greatest benefit right now will just be the game reps, and so that's where the G Leagues come in great hand. Scott, what impacted things more last night? Being down effectively three starters, we knew Tyrese was not going to be available due to the grade one hamstring, but Neesmith and Bruce Brown also out with their own respective injuries. Did that impact things more, or was it just the totality of, like we've seen again this season with a lot of NBA teams, but the Pacers too, the second night of a back-to-back and just it, it being too much with how thin they were and with how 
much of a gauntlet this road trip is. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about that is almost all teams seemingly go through this this stretch where they do in some combination at Denver and at Utah, and it's often on a back-to-back, which I almost don't think is fair uh, because you, you work in – it's usually at the start of or end of a road trip. you got the altitude aspect and all that. So even if the Pacers were at full strength last night, I almost would have said last night was a scheduled loss, meaning you go into that game and high, there's very high chances of the team coming away with a loss. Then you add to the fact that they're down two defenders and their top player and an all-star in Tyrese Halliburton. This was set up for failure, unfortunately. Uh, so it kind of went exactly how, how I thought last night. The, the game itself – I thought, Scott, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I thought their post-defense, and in particular, just not allow, like sealing off the wing and allowing, you know, I mean, Utah, it felt like at one point they had like seven straight possessions with lob dunks. I, I, I felt like they're in the first half of the game when, when the Pacers still had everybody out, out there that their post-defense regressed a little bit, their wing defense regressed a little bit. Am I being too critical? No, but I think it all starts with Laurie Markkinen and trying to figure out a way in which to defend him, and they're still looking for answers. I mean, number one, he's an elite player, probably an all-NBA talent, uh, certainly an all-star, was the reigning Western Conference player of the week. But beyond that, Jake, uh, they tried so many different things in trying to slow him, and then it, I think it directly impacted how they defended elsewhere, right? Like throw, starting Andrew Nimhart on him is almost unfair to Andrew and the entire team. There's like a seven inch difference in height alone um, right there. And I think that speaks to the greater concern, big picture about what this Pacers can, can accomplish and their limitations. Now, no, it didn't help that, that Aaron Neesmith was out. He probably would have drawn the first assignment, but again, that's where they really need someone at that, a big wing on this at the three and four position. And then to your greater point, I think it was a trickle down effect is then, then, wherever how everybody else guarded was directly impacted and you saw a guy like Colin Sexton uh, go off for 30 points which was a huge night for them to have two 30 point scorers in a game where <laughs> their stars didn't even need 30 minutes of action Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest Scott I know we mentioned briefly Jairus Walker already but he gets 26 minutes Ben Shepard mm-hmm. gets 25 the clamoring has been there all season especially for Jairus Walker to get more minutes to see what he has after he's balled out at times for the Mad Ants in the G League, when you look at what the Pacers were up against, not just opponent-wise Utah, but up against internally of having three starters out, and that's a large reason why the minutes were available for Walker and Shepard, what were those reps for them more about? Seeing what they're able to do with an adverse situation and see what they're able to do at the NBA level pace or just get them reps and get them more exposed to the league? It's the latter. They just simply need game minutes out there to experience NBA environments. One thing you got to keep in mind, too, is during this road trip out west, this is the first time for each of those guys to even experience those venues. So it's as simple as those guys establishing a pregame routine, going out on the court, getting, getting the viewpoints and, and those sorts of things, playing in a more hostile, active environment. Denver, Denver's fun. Utah's a lot of fun. Uh, there was another sellout last night in Salt Lake City. So I think it, first of all, comes down to the rookie season. It's about getting comfortable, gaining confidence in yourself, learning the way in which Rick Carlisle coaches and wants what he's demanding out of you. 
And then from there, it's about picking up the chemistry with your teammates and not being afraid to play your game. I think one of the great challenges, especially for someone who's not immediately getting playing time, not immediately in the rotation and being asked to do a lot, it's being out there and and trying to contribute while also not getting in the way, if that makes sense. Like, I think there'd be a lot of questioning of yourself, whereas like a guy like Jairus Walker was a star at IMG Academy. He goes to Houston and he's the fourth option, but he plays his role on a team that is so successful. So that's a big transition period for those guys. And then if you look at Ben Shepard, he's played in the same system the past four years at Belmont. So he, he, he's a high IQ player, a smart guy, can play both ways. So I fully expected Ben to be in the rotation after uh, the Pacers injury report came out. And then in terms of Jairus Walker, Rick, Rick hears it. He knows it. He's, pro- he's probably listening and, and seeing all those comments on – I don't know whether it's his social media or someone else getting it to him, but he acknowledged a couple weeks ago, hey, look, I I hear it all. There's things we're asking him to do. When he gets there, he'll be in the rotation, and we want to see more of him. And a couple weeks ago, Rick was even courtside for a couple Mad Ants games to see the progress being made by these two rookies. It comes down, Jimmy, just about getting them out there and getting them these game reps that they've lacked this season. Scott, you watched the game, obviously, last night, right? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to need your – True confessions here. You ready? <laughs> Bring it. We're going to put the truth serum in you, Scott Agnes. You're a you're a basketball mind that watches games that that goes to practices that goes to games, interviews coaches. You know the league. You've got Fieldhouse files. You write stuff as well for for this website. You've worked for the Pacers. You you know the NBA. Okay. How far into the game last night? Were we because the Jazz have changed their color scheme 646 times in the last three seasons? How far? How far? (laughs) Totally right. How far into the game last night were you before you realized that the lane was not actually a green and black hybrid paint scheme, but that that was actually from the overhead video boards that were reflecting into the paint? I'm trying to envision what you're talking about here. So so the the, the lane in Salt yeah. Lake is black, right? Yes. But the video boards above, like they have at Gamebridge oh, Fieldhouse. How it's like glossy. Yes. And I was like, wow, ah, that is yeah, super yeah. cool how they have like a green and black, like glossed mixed paint. And then I re- it was like midway through the third quarter before I realized, wait a minute, that's actually the video board reflection. That, that so was what? the stuff that I was paying attention to once they were down 20. I respect that because you got to find something to keep your interest. And totally. When when it's a game like that, when I have not been there since the pandemic, but I think since then they've installed a, gi- a new giant video board, which speaks to this. And on top of that, they've done a lot of upgrades, much like the Pacers have to the Fieldhouse, more club amenities and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't even think about that at registering, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. The um, the, the road trips themselves, Scott. You know, I, I thought that the back-to-back, and the Pacers kind of made a decent amount out of this, at least on the broadcast. You know, Jeremiah and Eddie were talking about it after the game that had taken place in Denver, the fact that, like, it wasn't one of those typical leave at, like, 11 o'clock and fly and land at 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever it may be, right? So in, in terms of these road trips, the way that it works – Mm-hmm. Would they have stayed the night in Salt Lake, or do they immediately get out and then rest and relax before, I believe it's um, next on the stop would be, is it Sacramento or Portland they yeah. go to next? 
Yeah, it's Sacramento, and they left immediately to Sacramento last night. So they're in they're in Sacramento. So, though they're already in Sacramento, do they? What is like? Do they take the day off? I mean, do they get days off on a road trip? Well, this is a rare case, and they even touched on it on the broadcast, where I think it's basically their only time for a month, Jake, where they have two days between games. Because this this January schedule has been such a challenge and will continue to be. I think they have 17 games throughout the month, the month most ever. So that, in the big picture, is a lot of what they're going through right now. So i got to imagine after traveling last night, they're taking two day off. Uh, then we'll practice on Wednesday. It allows one – I think you'd rather be in Sacramento, a little bit nicer weather. Uh, you also have Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald's return to Sacramento, which normally would be the big storyline, but with Tyrese being out, uh, it's not as much. And then to go back to what you're saying, though, about the back-to-back and the schedule, it, they were fortunate it wasn't the traditional back-to-back because they played at Denver the previous day on a 3.30 afternoon game. I guess it was 3.30 local time here. Uh, so a little different mountain time out there, I believe. Uh, but that allowed for them to get to Salt Lake City then at a more reasonable hour and beat some more weather that apparently, I guess, went down there. Yeah, so, I heard like some people, it was tough <laughs> getting in. Like I know people that exactly. went from Denver to, to Salt Lake. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you just mentioned this, Scott, so my apologies if I'm repeating. But verify from the Pacers, they do have a day off today. So they get to Sacto have the day off, relax, whatever, walk around Sacramento, I guess. And then you're right, a little bit better weather. And then uh, back on the horse itself. Scott Agnes is our guest. Uh, Scott, let's go back to just from a, a health standpoint. Where do we stand here? Halliburton, we know the status there. But there are others, including Isaiah Jackson, I think had twisted his ankle yesterday. Aaron Neesmith, uh, you know, Brown that was out. Where do we stand from a health standpoint for the back end here of this road trip? Yeah, that's one of the the big challenges as they continue to pile up here. The good news is none of them seem to be serious as as far as we know. Um, We saw late in the game, Matherin and Jackson both go out with what appeared to be kind of minor injuries. They went back to the locker room. And it was like a 20-point game at that point, you know, midway, late in the second half. So no point to even bring those guys back. Matherin was ruled out. Jackson was technically questionable return, but I loved it. Quinn Buckner, who played the game at every level, when Chris said it, he goes, yep, he ain't coming back. Like, <laughs> that, that said all you needed to know. So I'm guessing those two will be on the injury report as at least questionable for Thursday's game. Uh, Bruce Brown, I, I think it was more so a case of being on a back-to-back. Of course he was going to play in Denver as he had his ring night and was really able to enjoy the emotions there. And it was cool to see him celebrated, especially for only playing in Denver one year. Like, it felt like he had been there five years based on kind of the reception and how much – his former teammates kind of embraced him. And then this Aaron Neesmith injury is something that's been added to the injury report in the last week, like bilateral shins. I don't even know the exact uh, description of what he's dealing with in his shins there. It kept him out last night. I think it's something that's going to be kind of a day-to-day thing. And again, being on a back-to-back, they wisely probably said, hey, look, let's not try to force it here and and risk anymore. So I would – surmise that all, each of those players will all be questionable going into Thursday's game. But then, guess what? Another back-to-back because then it's at Portland the next day. That's what makes this six-game six road trip over 12 days so difficult. Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Scott, detractors, if there are any, of Tyrese Halliburton will point to 
how he's not the best defender. I mean, some will will point to, and there's been other comparisons with Damian Lillard and the and the look of the watch and all that, you know, banter on the court. But in terms of his play style, like, yeah, there's times where he is just not a top-tier elite defender. He's average or below average, and maybe they'll look better defensively without him. Not to say, again, that you're going to move on from him, but just how will they look defensively without him? Through four games or two and two, visually from my standpoint, I haven't seen a drastic difference in terms of this team. Granted, last night... It's tough with all the injuries that stacked up. Have you viewed it that way in terms of how they looked any different defensively without him in a positive way? Uh, not in particular, mostly because what he does offensively sometimes can be your best defense, yeah. right? The way in which you're playing, the threat that you can have, right? And in doing so, the Pacers scored 109 and 105 points in their last two games. That's not what this group was or has been, right? When they were on that race to have a historic offensive output. And then they reset it a little bit, and that's, that's where in the bigger with, – with what the Pacers are trying to get accomplished here, that's what I think made the, uh, the change that has been most helpful here moving forward. They were last in defensive rating, last in opponents' points. And since kind of the last 12 games is the threshold I'm taking where they're 9-3, and three, their scoring is down. They've dropped from first to fifth, but their defensive rating is 15th over that stretch. And I'll give them credit. That's exactly what we were generally all clamoring for, right? Like, you don't have to be a a top five or a top ten defense. Just be average. And that's exactly what they have been over this last almost a month now we're approaching as they had that practice that kind of changed things back on December 19th. Um, They're 19th in opponent's points. I think they were 29th or 30th. Again, that's that's good progress. That's a good climb forward, I think, for this group, considering there weren't personnel changes. It was more schematics, what they're asking them to do. The big buzzword that you keep hearing from Coach Rick Carlisle and company is force. They want to play, be more physical, play with force, be on the attack, rather than kind of you know responding to what opponents are doing there. So you asked about Halliburton. I don't notice any significant change what they're trying to do defensively, and a, lot, a large part of that, too, is guys keep going in and out of the lineup, right? I don't think we've seen 100% Andrew Nemhard this season because he's dealt with two, three, four different injuries uh, that he's had to try to overcome. Aaron Neesman is now missing time. Um, so right now they're just trying to piece it all together to, I think, kind of get through this month and then get to the February All-Star break. But right now, and as a team, I've been impressed with the changes they've made. When this road trip started this past Friday, my outlook was if you can go 2-4 and four or 3-3 three and three without Tyrese Halliburton, I'll be impressed. And again, we mentioned it a couple times over the course of this conversation, the injuries have stacked up a bit as of late. When you look ahead at Sacramento, then a back-to-back against Portland, and then Phoenix, this road trip concludes on the 21st this Sunday, can they reach that mark I set them? Can they get another win on this stretch? You would hope so, because Portland is is not good at all. They they keep having even more injuries. Shaler Shaden Sharp's going to continue to miss time. He's the second-year player that's been uh, really good for the Trailblazers. I'd be surprised even if under undermanned as they are right now that they wouldn't win to Portland. However, I preface that by also noting that back on November 27th at home, they lost to the Trailblazers team because one of the bugaboos of this group that they're trying to fix and overcome, even Tyrese has talked about it, is, yeah, they get up for the big games, but they've also you know suffered losses at Washington and to the Trailblazers. So I fully expect for them to get at least one more win on this road trip. 
Two's going to be pushing it unless maybe the last game Phoenix rests some, some of their stars because they are finally getting healthy. Uh, but don't you don't you agree? I think that Portland should be a win. Yeah, that's the one I'm pointing to and saying if you're going to get the second win with confidence, it would be that matchup. But like you said, second night of a back to back. Who knows where the injury report is? And they've already lost to them once. Scott, here's what I, here's what I've got to know: Denver, Salt Lake City, Sacramento, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix. Okay, uh, Scott Agnes, you got to pick two of those to move to what are your top two choices i think i'm going phoenix number one seed okay. and i think sacramento would be number two seed Ooh, interesting that's surprise people i think a lot of people might have picked denver no i'm kind of with you on sacramento like okay. I, it's it's like indianapolis it's really hot in the summertime um have you been to sacramento i have yes i i I kind of like it because of its proximity to Tahoe and the coast, right? And Napa is where I'm getting at. And Napa. I mean, you, you got yep. like an hour and a half to Napa, probably an hour to Napa, right? Right. Cause that's, that's for example, where, where Demonis Sabonis lives. He kind of lives in between right there. So that's, that'd be one of the great appeals. You would have a little bit of a drive, but man, that'd be hard to beat. Now, okay, so what's your bottom two out of that? Denver, Salt Lake, Sacto, Portland, Phoenix. Uh, probably, no, not probably. Portland would be my bottom. Okay. Uh, then Utah going from bottom, then Denver. I love Colorado. I do. Salt Lake City, I'd like to spend more time there. I have never skied in general, so I think that's why Denver and Utah are probably a little further down. And then Phoenix, Scottsdale, like, give me, give me all the golfing weather I can. I'd take that all day. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously you're not worried about scorpions, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd have a problem in Phoenix if you don't like scorpions. I mean, I'm cool with like a, a daddy long legs crawling across the floor, but a scorpion, like you know, different issue. But you know, <laughs> Phoenix is cool. Don't get me wrong. Little 116, probably not, not great, but Denver's pretty hard to beat. But but everybody's moving out there now, so it's too hard. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's become the new Austin. I'm not, what totally. I'm curious is what's next? What's the next city after Denver now? Or are we already there and I'm missing out? I don't know. So the next big booming city, um, you, you ready for this? You're going to laugh at me. Now, I'm not saying to the level of like major city. Mm-hmm. Asheville, North Carolina. N- N- Austin, Texas was the big one, right? Because of the tech stuff, whatever else. And then obviously, okay, Colorado Springs would be one probably. Um, but I don't know that we have like a an already established major city that becomes then a super city. You know what I mean? Now I think it's all regional stuff. Asheville, Chattanooga, and Colorado Springs would be the th- oh Boise. There you go. Boise is another one. Really? That, yeah. Oh, that would surprise me. Yeah. Californians are all moving to Boise, and people that are native of people that are natives of Idaho are mad about it. And Davy Hamilton, who has a place in Boise, <laughs> told me that he had a rental car with a California plate, and people were flipping them off all over the place. Which probably isn't unusual for Davey, but you know. I was having this conversation over dinner last week, in fact. I was like, we've had Austin, Denver. I think it's kind of played out now for the last many years. What's next? And I didn't have an obvious answer. Yeah, I'll go with Boise, actually, now that I think about it. There's There's my answer for you. Okay, that's something we'll be tracking, then. Good to know. All right, Scott, we appreciate it as always, man. All right, absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Scott Agnes joining us on the program. Um. You liked, Eddie, yesterday my, my Twitter poll, right? Oh, yes. Pat Boylan and I, last night during the Pacers game, we were easily discussing and debating this for 30 minutes. All right. We're going to get back into IU-Purdue, and I'll let you know what that Twitter poll was that Eddie's been contemplating all day, because it's 50-50 right now with, like, thousands of votes. I'll let you know next. 
So here's one thing that fascinates me about the cold weather, okay? Whenever it is this cold outside, so years ago, I got into a discussion with somebody in like July. It was, and it was when it was like 100 degrees outside. And I have this theory that we live in a city that has extreme temperatures and extreme climates on both sides of the spectrum. Like you live in Phoenix, it gets super hot. And then in the wintertime, like it's cool, but it's never cold, right? You live in Helena, Montana, it gets super cold, but it's never like super hot. Here we get the extreme on both sides. And my theory is, Jimmy, that it's difficult when entrenched in one of the extremes to truly remember how bad the other extreme also sucks, okay? So one day when it was like 100 degrees outside, I asked somebody, I go, okay, here's a question for you. They said, okay. And I go, and this is when it was like, you know, one of those days where they're like, stay, don't go outside unless you have to. It's 103 heat index and 80% humidity and whatever else. So I asked him in that moment, I go, okay, so on the coldest day of the year, if you had to go to 86th and Meridian and just run to Monument Circle for $10 million wearing simply running shorts and running shoes, no shirt, no nothing else, could you do it? And when I asked people that in July, they're all like, dude, I definitely could do that. I'd get it done. But now that we're in this sort of temperature, you go out to your car and you're like, oh my gosh, like there's no way. So... The question I asked was this. If there was a million-dollar prize and you were at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, all you have to do is do two laps on foot. But you can't take bottled water or anything. You just got to prepare yourself and then go. Which gives you the better chance of completing the task? Doing it in 10-degree below zero temperatures wearing nothing more than a bathing suit and running shoes or doing it in 100 degree heat but dressed like you would normally dress when it's 10 below outside which gives you the better chance of completing the task and getting the one million dollars now i asked this yesterday on twitter and it is fascinating to me how like i figured it would be kind of one-sided so so far and there's still like time left in my little my little unsigned you got eight hours left on this project for science 1660 people have voted in this 51 percent said that they would better fare which way jimmy which one do you think well i voted and i could see the metric so maybe ask eddie because otherwise i'm cheating eddie I'm going to go with the cold. You think people said they would have a better chance in the cold? Yes. 51% say that they would have a better chance wearing winter gear in the heat. And I think that's because right now, because it is so cold outside, you forget how insufferable stifling heat is and how dangerous it is. Not to mention you have the on-track temperature. It gets hotter with the Correct. heat. Correct. So... I would bet that if I ask this again in July when it's 100 degrees outside, even though it's very, very close here, but it would swing the other way because people would be like, oh, in the wintertime, it's not that bad. But then you go out here and you're like, 
Now, I think personally, of the two answers, there is one that I think actually is the safer of the two. I think they're both terribly dangerous. By the way, somebody said to me, this is incredibly irresponsible that you would think this up and throw that out there. You're going to kill somebody. I'm not really offering a million dollars, and the Speedway's not really going to let you go do this anyway. I placed my vote based not as the guy that is wishy-washy depending on the time of year. Like, oh, I could do that. Like you're pointing out that whatever extreme season we're in, we're going to pick the other coin. I picked it as the guy that knows I'm dying one way or the other. And I voted based on which one am I most likely to survive because I'm able to tell my body, hey, this is, you're not going to make it. It's time to throw okay. in the towel. And you're, I feel like you're less likely to, you're more likely to get numb to it in the cold than you are your body saying, hey, we're going to shut down here. You're dying of heat stroke. So, exactly. So, so I yes. voted for heat. Here's the thing. I think of the two, the more dangerous is the summer option because I think if you were, if either one was to prove to be fatal for you, the summer option has less fair forewarning that something's bad is happening. If you have a heat stroke, it can come on like that. Whereas in the wintertime, you would start get frostbite, you'd get numb, and you'd be like, okay, I got to bail, man. I, you know what I mean? Like I'm losing my fingers here and one nipple just fell off. Whereas in the in the in the summer, you just be like, I, I, you would get disoriented, and before you know it, you're in serious trouble. It's my food for thought. Uh, Eric joins us on the program to talk about the Pacers. What's up, Eric? Um, uh, hey, Jake. Uh, I, now hold I, uh, on, Eric. Now before before we do this, Eric. Mm-hmm. You are, as I've always stated, my very first ever caller, right on the program. Yes. And yes, then sir. I went to the Indiana State game like two weeks ago, and this guy comes up to me and goes, hey, man, I'm Eric's buddy, which was super cool. That's your buddy that coached at like Pendleton, right? Pendleton Heights, yeah. Okay. Now, I don't think that we have talked on the radio since you and I serendipitously because you called in and then we went to a Pacer game. So I need you, Eric, to verify for the listeners of this program as a member, and Eric, you are the director of shoe merchandising for the company. I need you, because that's what you do, I need you to verify to people that, in fact, I am harmless and I am not like completely out of my mind and that an evening at a Pacer game with me was a painless event, hopefully, right? Down-to-earth guy. Cool. Just like just like you're on the radio, Jake. I well, mean, it, it, it was awesome. Pretty I appreciate awesome. that. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. We had fun, though, man. It was a, it was a lot of fun, actually. And I'll tell you what, um, Eric, I'm being serious when I say this. I, I was fascinated by it because during the course of the game, as we were talking, I was like, man, I mean, you know, you know your basketball for certain. And you pointed out something to me last week that I thought was a really good perspective and when you pointed it out to me, you were like the the only person to come up with a name that you thought would be a good fit for the Pacers, and I'm starting to see that name bubble up a little bit in a couple of places. Let people know who it was that you were saying you thought was a good fit. Well, that that that's why I'm calling. I think it's Andrew Wiggins, and, and I know and I know people are kind of turning their heads at that. But last week I was listening to uh, one of the insiders you had in that used to be one of your interns, and he, and you know, you're hearing Siakam all these months, and now you're starting to hear Andrew Wiggins. And with Siakam, I don't like that trade at all. And the reason I don't like that trade is he's two years older than Andrew Wiggins, and, he's, and, and his contract 
if, if you get him, you're giving up two young players and a pick for him, and it's been rumored they want Matherin and Jarris Walker and a first-round pick. I'm not doing that for a guy that I don't know sign a contract extension. And like that insider said, he wants a max contract extension at age 33 in the last year of the deal. He's it will be 53 million. No way am I doing that trade. Andrew Wiggins is two years younger. He he averages more points throughout his game throughout his career. Two more points a game than Siakam. He's 27, and I know he's having a down year. But this year he makes 24 mil. Next year 26. The next year 28, and then in the fourth year it's a player option. I just don't see why why Siakam over Wiggins. Like I'm not seeing the. That Siakam's such a better player than Andrew Wiggins. What do you think about Wiggins? Well, first off, and I don't know why this is, Eric, that you know, I don't watch enough of them out west, but why his game has seemingly dropped off the way that it has. But what do you think about the the if any, the defense difference between on the wing between Siakam and Wiggins? I think the difference is Siakam can play for and Andrew Wiggins. He can play four, but not as good as Siakam. But I don't think the Pacers need a four. I just, I be, because they've they've got a bunch of big guys that that are four. I mean, Toppin. He don't he don't play hardly any defense. But then you look and you, and you got you want to get Walker more minutes if you can keep Walker. He's a power four. Jalen Smith goes back and forth between power forward and center. I'm just not seeing where they need a power forward so bad. And Oscar's a power forward. So, like, every game that they go up against a team that has a decent small forward, every single game they're getting 30 to 40 points scored on them. Marketing, Jason Tatum, like, every single game. And Naismith is doing all he can to defend, and I, and I give him credit. But to me, Naismith is, like, should be your sixth or seventh man coming off the bench and giving you productive minutes off the bench and – and and I, I don't know. I just think they need a wing, and well, I think it's obvious. I, I think they you would know. tell you they need a wing for sure, Eric. The, you know, the thing is, wings just don't grow on trees. That's why I, I kind of liked your Wiggins answer there because I guess you know Wiggins maybe it, he is a guy that needs like another lease. You know what I mean? A change of scenery, if you will. Um, Ten months separating uh, Andrew Wiggins and Pascal Siakam in age, by the way, not two years. That's important. What about in terms of years played? Uh, two more years for, sorry, two more years for Wiggins than Siakam in terms of NBA play. Because he came out after what his first year. Yeah, but I I don't know why Wiggins. I, I agree with Eric though in the fact that the contracts alone. I I, I mean the money that Siakam. I'm not overly sold on Siakam. I'm just not. Sure. I, it, I'm probably in the minority on that. I no. I, I'm with you on that. Just because in the same way that Wiggins doesn't really either the long-term life of what you're experiencing with Tyrese Halliburton versus the pairing of Pascal Siakam and Andrew Wiggins, they are slightly different timelines. You're, you're speeding up your expectations for this team. If you go trade in either scenario, you'd likely be giving up a ton of assets to go acquire a 28, 29-year-old, 29, 30-year-old in that range. You're suddenly saying, okay, this isn't a four- or five-year timeline we're operating on. This is a two- to three-year timeline to go contend. And you've stressed that in the past about how that's maybe both with the Colts and the Pacers, that's being too aggressive to a fault because now all of a sudden you're backing yourself into a corner where you have to win in a shorter window. And also, I do agree, though, with the last caller in regards to 
it's the reason we pointed to Paul George, like a small forward, high level, like all NBA three and D, like checks all those boxes type of player is the perfect ideal fit. But you're right, Jake, they don't grow in trees. It's a hard piece to find, regardless of where things play between now and the deadline and next offseason when you're looking at free agents. I have a question here for Purdue people, back to the Purdue-Indiana game tonight. When we were talking about the IMS challenge and the heat or the cold, somebody just texted me and said, ask any 1980s or earlier Purdue grad about the nude Olympics. Coldest night of the year, hat, gloves, and shoes only. I have questions. <laughs> right? I'm sure you do. I have a lot of questions about that. There should be some follow-ups there with that. I mean, kind if you're playing message. like Twister, okay, but like the nude Olympics. I mean, I, I I don't know. Like, do you really want to like, like when I was in college at the University of Kansas, we had, we called it the Rites of Spring Olympics in the for all the on-campus housing. But it was in springtime, and they had different challenges, and you had to find the people on your dorm floor that like would mo- like okay, who would be the best at you know this particular, you know whatever it might be, like high jumping or you know free throw contests or whatever else. I don't know that I'd like. There were a lot of like odd looking dudes. I don't know that I'd want to be necessarily doing the nude Olympics on the coldest night of the year. I would agree with you on that. Additionally, regardless of the setting, assuming alcohol is heavily involved, I don't need to have. Uh, I don't need to have more parts of my body exposed where things could go wrong, injuries could happen. I'm I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm fine with just the normal. Oh, I broke my wrist or I scraped my knee. I would think that like the the nude Olympics is bad enough, but the drunk nude Olympics becomes a, like almost a nightmare, right? It's a disaster scenario waiting to happen, especially in the cold. Yeah, because you get these people that are like, oh, I'm just gonna drink a fifth of Jack and I'm good. Well, that, now you're really in trouble. Right? I imagine that's most of the people voting uh, bathing suit and. Minus 10. Did you notice the big fat guy in the Chiefs game with his shirt off in the first quarter? They never showed him again. Yeah. What do you think happened to him, Jake? You think it ended well for him that night? (laughs) Do you think? I think he probably had the shirt off. He's like girls gone wild. He had the shirt off long enough for the camera to see him and then immediately went right back on, right? I would hope that he was that sane to be that in the right headspace. He was trying to get his Mardi Gras beads. That's That's what he was trying to do. That's right. I mean, honestly, like that guy, uh, I thought Holder. I told you that. There's always one. I said it on Friday. There's always one moron. Stephen Holder, I I thought his question on Twitter was great during the the Chiefs-Dolphins game. I might have mentioned this the other day where he had the question of what is, what's the limit? Like, I'll ask both you guys. In your case, Jimmy, it's the Chiefs, Eddie, for you, the Colts, if they're on the road, because obviously it's not applicable in Lucas Oil Stadium. But Unless the roof's open. <laughs> correct, but there can't be any <laughs> precipitation like, you know, within right. from Kansas City to here. Yep. So what is the temperature that is the cutoff for you where you're like, I- I'm not doing it. I-, I will stay home. You asked me in a version of this last week. The stakes changed it for me because I've seen them win a wild card game before. See, if that was and the, that it, happened here. Honestly, when the Peyton Manning era Colts was taking place, we did get to, and the Pacers, this happened as well for a while there, where like it was like, well, wake me up when you get to the divisional round or the championship <laughs> sure. game, right? To be clear, again, still watching all the games like those Colts fans are. But so what's your, what, what's your if, cutoff? If that was the AFC championship game this weekend, 
tickets for like $80 where we usually sit with this lower bowl, I would have gone. That temperature, I would have gone. What about... Regular game that doesn't have... Okay. Wild card game that... A, a wild card sure. playoff game. Sure. Your, your temperature cutoff is what? If we are at... If we're at five or lower, I'm probably out. Eddie, what about for you? Um, I'd probably be five. I thought it was fascinating when Stephen Holder asked that question on social media and said, what is your cutoff? And I truly expected that a high percentage of the replies would be people saying, you know, I'm a tough guy. Football's met for cold weather. You people are soft. I, I totally expected a plethora of those answers. Almost every answer, and there were, he had hundreds of replies. Mm -hmm. There were probably dozens, if not like 50, replies of people retelling stories of where they decided to go to games in extreme conditions. And every one of them ended with the same thing. Every single person that was like, I'm a diehard fan of, like, people were like, I went to the Colts game in Kansas City in 96. I went to Lambeau to see the Packers because I'm a Packers fan in like January, et cetera, et cetera. People were talking about their dedication, their love for their team, and the game that most illustrated that love because of their sacrifice of comfort to sit through extreme weather to watch their team. And literally every single one of those replies said at the end of it, and I'll never do it again. I did it one time. I will never do it again. I thought for sure there'd be people that were like, I did it and it was unbelievable. Like, and it was awesome. No, literally every single person that was like, I sat through 10 degrees, 15 degrees, 20 degrees, and it was horrible. I'll never do it again, which I found interesting. I thought there would have been somebody that for me, I, look, I'm soft, man. At this point, call me soft, call me whatever you want. 30 degrees. 30 is my cutoff. It's under, no, nah, I'm not sitting outside. 25 degrees. No. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Just wouldn't do it. Stephen Holder, by the way, joins us uh, just about 12 minutes from now. You know, JMV, who will be taking over the airwaves here in just over an hour from now, is sitting right behind. Now, I don't know if he can hear us or not. I don't think he's listening to the program. <laughs> he's he's eating a box of Cheez-Its right now. That song, Heard It Through the Grapevine, JMV would be the one, my, my compadre of old <laughs> mandem here, to know... What restaurant turned the California Raisins into a pop cultural phenomenon during an advertising campaign based around that song? As a matter of fact, they gave them away. You could go and with a with a meal, you you got like a little. I mean, this is going to sound so foreign to you guys. Think about this. There was a fast food restaurant that used that song as part of an ad campaign, and they became so popular that you could buy little figurines of the different raisins. Like one was playing a saxophone, one was playing a trombone, one was riding a skateboard, one was dribbling a basketball. And it was like a huge phenomenon, and then one of the restaurants picked it up it was actually originally an ad, I believe, just for raisins. And then a restaurant, like, they became so popular that you could get one of the California raisins with, like, a, a with a 
not a happy meal, but the equivalent thereof at Hardy's restaurants. And like, it was like a thing. I mean, you were like super excited. Like, oh man, I got the sunglass wearing California raisin. People collected them, traded them all off of a commercial. Did you? Of course. Did they survive the purge? Everybody had them. They did not survive the purge. (laughs) I had, so I would have been, like everybody collected them. Now, before that, the, the the precursor to that would have been the little rubber Smurf figurines. And they were like, you, you had every different like Smurf. But that was for kids only. They were like adults collecting these things. They were like the Beanie Babies of the early 80s, mid-80s. Remember Beanie Babies? Everybody was going to yep. retire off their Beanie Baby collection. People like like women were driving like overnight to Oklahoma because there was rumor of like the, you know, the... The, the Barney Beanie Baby that was available and like that was going to be the new one that was the big thing. Some invest in gold. Smart people invest in Beanie Babies. Dude, what about cryptocurrencies? You guys are into the cryptocurrencies? You're younger. You're hip. No, not really. I'm aware of them, but no, I don't. Eddie? Negative. There's a guy that I know. I like him. Good dude. All of a sudden, his entire Facebook... I, I, at first, I thought he got hacked. He's now like a... Like one of the... I'm not going to say the name. I mean, you can probably figure out which the big one is. He's he's like a uh, an official like banker of it, I guess. And he's like constantly posting pictures now. People are like, look at this guy. He made eighty six grand in two days. Really? Sounds legit. Now there's another thing on <laughs> on the X Twitter. There's like every other thing now is X Coin or one of those that that supposedly is. Elon Musk's like latest thing, and it's like you can pre-order now. And then people are like, no, 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 don't do that. That's actually like the the Nigerian prince that's going to steal your bank account. Don't 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 give any of the information. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I did buy. <laughs> I will tell you. Like three years ago, I just basically took a roll of the dice, and I'm like, you know what? You finally emailed the prince. I did. <laughs> I can't believe I heard her back. I bought 20 Doge coins. Nice. Because I'm like, you know what? I mean, they were like two cents a piece. I'm like, I'll buy 40. I'll spend 40 cents. And then if these things go to 46 grand, what an investment. I got 20 of them. But I don't understand how any of it works. I don't either. I mean, I'm Does aware anybody? of it. No, I mean, I'm sure there are purported experts. Maybe you should call the guy the, that's the made 86 that are, grand in two the days. The people sure that are knows. into it, though, it's like the California Raisins were. I mean, like, they're they're way into it. And they're like, no, 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 you just don't get it. Like, it, this is like the, the wave of the future, and and we're mining for them right now. I'm like, what do you mean mining? Like, are the guys in helmets and, like, hats, like, lights on them? What, what are we doing with mining? My favorite was the people that were collecting, like, and I can't remember what it was called, if it was FTPs or what, if that's what it was called or not, but it was, like, still a thing. Digital like art pieces. Oh, that was a, a rage for like three weeks, Correct. right? And like, I mean, it was everywhere. I could just take a picture of that. But you own it then. Correct. I'm telling you, like, IndyCar drivers were way into that. They were all into it. They were all all in. So was the NBA for a bit. Like, they had a side. I don't know if it's still there. They had like a side model that was like, oh, you can get this week's pack of LeBron dunking over whoever. Oh, look, it's a. Lob from Halliburton. I still don't understand what they what it was. I think it was a thought that like digital watermarks on these photos would suddenly make them worth as much as the Mona Lisa and 
you'd be the first and only one to have that specific photo with that watermark and that. And you went to Paris, right? I did. Did you go see the Mona Lisa? I did not. How do you go to Paris and not see the Mona Lisa? I was on a family constructed guide. We were there getting ready for the wedding. You and your family put this together and didn't include the Mona Lisa. I don't know why it was not. You didn't go to the Louvre? We did not go to the Louvre. Went to the Eiffel Tower. We saw the catacombs. We did not get it. The catacombs are crazy. Insane. The catacombs are crazy. Did not For those who don't know, though. the catacombs, by the way, in Paris, uh, 18th century, I believe it was 18th century, they had all of the um, graves were above ground. It started contaminating the water streams. So they basically took all of the graves. Actually, they were underground. They took all of the graves, exhumed them, and then they had areas and tunnels around the city that had been excavated for natural resources. So they just took all of the bones and started stacking them in the areas where excavation had taken place, and that's now the catacombs. And when you go on the tour, oh man, they're telling you this, and you're walking along, and you're like, well, you know, there's going to be like a glass barrier or whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. You just turn left, and it's like, well, what do you know? There's a stack of 15,000 femurs from the 18th century from you to right the there. From you to the microphone. I, literally, like the skulls. That, I mean, and, and it's like four miles long. Yeah. Also, you're underground. Yeah, like, you're not you're seeing like sunlight while you're looking at this. 13 stories underground, right? <laughs> You're walking along, and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're going to show you the entire French population of the 1670s. It is crazy, man. And like, I, I didn't, I, I was not anticipating that. But the Mona Lisa, by the way, is actually like the size of, like, it's like an eight by eleven. And then they're like, you wait forever, and you see it. So maybe your family was smart because then they're like, oh, by the way, the real one's actually supposedly in a vault underground. That's just a fake. Like, well, okay. Uh, Stephen Holder joins us next. Todd Leary talking IU-Purdue rivalry. He has rebuttals for Brian Cardinal, and he'll do that at the bottom of the hour. Todd Leary coming up 30 minutes from now. We'll get back into IU-Purdue rivalry chat. Joining us now, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. And Stephen, before we get into the Colts and the playoffs, I wanted to – I was just mentioning – I found it fascinating when you had a tweet, a really good tweet question, which was what is the like barom what's the 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 low mark that you'll go as a fan in terms of temperature to watch a game? Oh yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this, Steven, but virtually every person that replied with a personal experience of sitting through a really cold game, every single one of them said, I'll never do it again. Did you notice that? Like, no one was I, like, it was awesome. Everybody was like, yeah, <laughs> one time was fine, but I'll never do it again. I, I actually did read through them. And, I mean, there were a lot of replies, like a couple hundred or something. And you are largely correct. People were like, oh, yeah, that's for the birds. I ain't doing that ever again. <laughs> right. And it brought joy to my heart because as a Floridian, a native Floridian, you know, and, and that's, you know, you can make fun of that if you want, because we have many reasons to make fun of us down there. But um, yeah, as a native Floridian, I was like, am I crazy? Like, am I missing something? Why do these people want to do this? <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense to me. So I was happy to see that I'm not crazy and that, no, it is miserable to sit in single digit temperatures to watch football. Thank you. Steven, <laughs> I, I was curious of this, honestly, and you mentioned that because, you know, speaking of Miami and the Dolphins, I, I don't know, maybe they divulged this, but I brought this up earlier. It's neither here nor there now because Kansas City beat them, but did Miami go into 
I guess Kansas City wouldn't have like had them use practice facilities, but did they go to a cold weather climate for the week to practice no. through it and get acclimated? No, they did not actually. Um, I actually do know the answer. They did not. They they hopped on a flight on when was that game? Saturday. Yes. They hopped on a flight on on Friday afternoon. I believe it was like seventy eight degrees when they left Fort Lauderdale. And then they arrived in in Kansas City to uh, temperatures that were about 70 degrees colder. See, to me, that is, if I'm the owner of the Dolphins, I am saying to whoever's in charge of that, like, what are you doing? Like, why would they not have, and I don't know that it would have made a huge difference, but why would you not have gone, whether it be to, like, link, I mean, there has to be somebody within the organization of the Dolphins that has, like, a connection and... Lincoln, Nebraska, or St. Louis, or whatever, and go for at least two days, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible idea. I, I think – I'm sure they've thought of it, and, and this scenario has happened before, right? I mean, other Southern teams have had this problem. I, I don't recall them doing that, but and I think the reason is logistically they maybe don't think it's worth it. Now, whether they're right, I don't know. But to to kind of move everybody – move the entire organization twice, you know, to, to go somewhere else and then go on to the site of the yeah. game is a, is a lot more expense and a lot more work. And I'm guessing they just, just weren't up to it, but it is, it is, I think food for thought. I, I wonder how much, how much thought has been given to that and how much consideration has been given to actually trying it and why they haven't. It, it's a good question. I, I, I wonder if, if I was in that situation covering a team in that situation, it's a question worth asking for sure. Okay, so speaking of consideration, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com is our guest. Um, certainly we want to be considerate whenever you are talking about somebody with a health situation, but at the same time, when it is somebody in a public light, there is public interest. We know from the last, and I, and I asked Mike Chapel this as well, the last that I had heard from the Indianapolis Colts from an official standpoint with Jim Irsay was that he had a severe respiratory illness and was getting treatment for it. Do we have or do we anticipate any update? Not at the moment. Uh, we are status quo in terms of an official, uh, from an official capacity. Um, I, I don't even really have anything unofficial um, that I've observed you know, that, that I can report, uh, in recent days, I, I just think it's, it's one of those things where we're going to be a little bit at their mercy, you know, to, to, to learn about what his status is. Um, you know, when it comes to someone's health, even if you hear something through the grapevine, you can't turn around and, and repeat that without that coming through official channels, just because, uh, that's something that, that only people, who tend to be very close to the situation, know, and and you can't be wrong about that stuff. So, yeah, so I suspect we're going to have to wait until they decide to to share additional information, whether that's tomorrow or next month or whenever. You know, I just I don't know how else we're going to learn more, unfortunately. Um, and I understand it's their right to, to um, treat this as a private matter. I understand it, uh, but I, I think also there is – concern publicly about Jim Irsay. He's, he's revered in this community. Uh, he has a very prominent role in the community as well. 
So there's there's news value uh, that's established there. Stephen, this is the first time that we have talked to you, I believe, since Chris Ballard met, I think, met with the media, right? Yeah, um, yeah I think so. Yeah. So just your overall impressions, was there anything that you anticipated going in to find out about that you did not or anything that you did not think you'd find out about that he divulged that surprised you? No, I wouldn't say either. I think my takeaway was that I feel like this was a big sigh of relief for him this whole season, I guess. It feels like it was a a big sigh of relief for Chris Ballard. Um, One year ago, when we did that press conference, it was brutal for him. Absolutely brutal. And, I mean, we, we, we threw a whole lot at him that day, you know, and, and rightfully so. And, and he didn't have a lot of answers, frankly. He did not. So he felt this time, it was very clear, this time he felt as if he was in a much stronger position and, and had viable answers and could talk about the direction of the team you know, with, with confidence. And you couldn't do any of those things a year ago. So I guess that would be my takeaway, just the, the contrast from last year to this year. However, however, I, I do think there were still some shortcomings that we talked about. And then, you know, the secondary, for example, and, and the construction of the personnel there. Uh, we also talked about, okay, well, now you're here. How are you going to take the next step? And that's always the hardest part you know, kind of, you know, making a, a turnaround is hard and they did that, but taking the next step is, is sometimes even harder. And so that's where I think, you know, he has to, his answers don't necessarily matter. His actions are what are going to matter. And so that's what I'm looking for in this offseason. And, and to, to close, he did say that, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's appropriate you know, to, to be a little more aggressive in, in how we build our team this offseason. And I think that's the right way to, to think about it. We'll see if he follows through. Steven, why do you think he feels that level of confidence? Is it because, unlike a year ago, there's what they think is their franchise quarterback already in tote and they don't have to worry about that moving forward? Or is it that he believes or knows internally from Colts brass that unlike maybe how Colts fans feel about him, they do trust him to build around Anthony Richardson? Well, I think it's both of those. Uh, I think both of those things are true. But I think the first one is probably what I would cite as as the reason for the, the different disposition from from Chris Ballard last week. And and I, I think he's you know largely right to feel that way. I mean, last year they had they had the two biggest questions facing an organization were unanswered. Who's your quarterback and who's your coach? <laughs> we didn't know either one, right? So, uh, so certainly they have both of those. The, the coach, I think there's no question there. I think the Eagles would agree with you on that. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that Shane Steichen's a pretty good coach. Yeah, <laughs> Man, we can talk about that if you want. What a mess. But anyhow, I, I would say on the quarterback – I, I understand if there are uh, doubts about Anthony Richardson. That's totally fair. I mean, the guy really played like four games. Uh, that that the four games does not a career make for sure. However, uh, the the glimpses we saw were very compelling, and and that's not 
at the top of their list right now. They feel like they'll let that play out. And if they're wrong, then they're wrong. But they feel like they feel pretty strongly that they're right about him. And, and I think that's fair. So, I mean, that has to just take, I, I mean, just loads off of your shoulders to feel like you've gotten, for the most part, from what we know, you've gotten the two biggest decisions largely right as we sit here today. Now, ultimately, the answers could come to be seen differently, right, depending on how it plays out. But as we sit here today, we feel pretty good about Shane Steichen, and we feel pretty good about Anthony Richardson. So those are the two biggest questions you face, and, and they feel good about both of them. That's reason to feel optimistic. Stephen Holder is our guest, covers the Colts for ESPN. I've been pretty plain about my criticisms toward Ballard, like a lot of people that look at him and think he won't spend the money necessary or he's too overconfident in previous decisions to then go back and kind of double-cross one of those decisions by drafting a replacement at a key position or believing more in-house in his guys than doing it all the time in free agency. But Jake brought this up immediately after his media availability, and it was... Again, we're reading tea leaves here, but his long pause before he analyzed and addressed Alec Pierce a year ago and even going into the draft, not end of season press conferences, but like draft day press conferences, there was a sense of arrogance that's always been with Ballard of we have the guys in house. We believe in our guys. That's the first time I've ever seen him pause and hesitate in this era about a playmaker. Am I reading too much into that or is that a tell of a general manager that knows he needs to supply the best weapon possible regardless of who might be not necessarily out of a job but who might be further down the pecking order than they initially were a season ago so my my read on that is i think he understands he had to be uh cautious in how he answers that question because uh, look with alec pierce i actually I'm somewhat optimistic about Alec Pierce next season because I think he'll be with the right quarterback. However, you have to also, you have to also accept the reality is the production is just not there. It's just not. And, and it's okay. Both things can be true. We can, we can say, you know, I think this guy would play well with Anthony Richardson while also saying he hasn't done very much. (laughs) So I think in his head and, and I'm, I'm not psychic, but I'm going to pretend to be for a minute. Um, my guess is in his head, Chris Ballard was weighing those two things. Okay. I like this player, but I also can't come out and say he's done a great job because statistically that doesn't pass the Smith test. So it's a delicate balance. But, and, I, and so here's the deal though. I, I do think that ultimately, if you want to go where they want to go, get where they want to get, um, you, you don't wait for things to – you don't always wait. You, you can't always wait. Um, it's okay to like Alec Pierce and still go out there and address that position uh, further. It's totally fine. You know, so I, I think that's where his head is at. We'll see. I mean, ultimately, you have to help your quarterback. And everything they say, everything is about helping Anthony Richardson succeed. So to that, to that end um, – you know, whether Alec Pierce um, takes offense to it or not, I think you have to go out there and you have to, if there's an opportunity, go out there and solidify that position. And I'm talking under the assumption that they keep Michael Pittman because if they don't, 
then I don't want to hear anything they have to say ever again. But anyhow, that's another story. It certainly sounded like they were basically saying Michael Pittman's going to be here next year. No matter what we got to pay or if we got to tag him, Michael Pittman's going to be here next year, right? I mean, I think so. I, I think so. Um, there, there's no there's no reason to – I mean, what, what's, the, what's the reason? What's the, what are you doubting? What are you not sure about, right? You know what I mean? Like all the, all the reasons you would like have pause to maybe re-sign a guy. Like name them. Outside of money, name one, you know? And, and I think we can compare him to, to the Jamar Chases of the world if you want and say, well, he's inferior to those guys. Well, no, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding, right? But context matters. And the context here is you don't have anything else. You have a five foot eight slot receiver who's who had a great rookie season in Josh Downs, but he's a five foot eight slot receiver. Well, and I love the guy, but like that is not even a factor in this conversation about Michael Pittman. Josh Downs doesn't even factor into that conversation, in my opinion. You know what, Stephen? Player. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, sorry to cut you off there. I, Michael Pittman, to me, and and you tell me, and I'm going to say this for even though our, our audience would be larger. Colts knowledgeable than NBA knowledgeable but to me Michael Pittman so you have like Jamar Chase you have Jefferson in Minnesota you know you've got these guys that are they have the whole package okay and and that's like Jason Tatum and that's you know James Harden or Joel Embiid you know I I don't know whoever you want to say are like the four best players in the league right now Mm -hmm. Michael Pittman to me is Jimmy Butler He's really darn good. Yeah. He just isn't as flashy as the others. But when you look at it, you go, this guy's got a little bit of dog in him where he gets the same numbers. He just doesn't do it with the same glitz. I actually love that. And and, and I'll take it a step further. Um, try playing without him. Right. right? Exactly. Right? <laughs> I mean, and I, and I don't and know that I would happens. have said that a year ago. You know what I mean? Right. No, um, that's, that's actually a, a great analogy because – there, you could look at him. You could look at Jimmy Butler, and I and I do look at him this way. You could look at Jimmy Butler and say, you know, something's missing. Like he's not, you know, he's just not that elite of the elite. But as you said, you know, when it comes time to, I need a play. I don't care how. I just need a play. Who do they go to? Right. Unequivocally, unequivocally, the Miami Heat. They go to Jimmy Butler. The Indianapolis Colts. They go to Michael Pittman. I mean. That is as clear a comparison as I have ever seen. I mean, that's that's a perfect analogy. It's what I do, Steve. I mean, it's what that, I do, that, right? Every every once in a while, you know. You Eddie, know, are you recording on that or... for the promo, um, Stephen? <laughs> along those lines, so now now I'm going to counterbalance with the dumbest thing you've heard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Chris Ballard made um, Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen both have made it pretty clear that Gus Bradley is going to be back next year. I know that there are a lot of people that feel that Gus Bradley misfired this year on his calls defensively. Shane Steichen said it was about continuity. Is there the chance that Shane Steichen actually is giving Gus Bradley benefit of the doubt because Shane Steichen doesn't feel that Gus Bradley has been given the proper cabinet of players by Chris Ballard? Um, we would be guessing on the answer, but I think if that's how he feels, I think that's fair, frankly. Um, it was not ideal. Uh, look, 
I'm going to say what I said last week to, to other shows, which is here you have a defensive coordinator, maybe to even your show. So I apologize if I'm being repetitive, but you have a defensive coordinator who did not have, you know, one of the, the top sack artists in the NFL this year and generated more sacks than any team since the Mayflower in Indianapolis, that is. So that has to count for something, right? And so he, he did that in spite of not having, you know, a, a Miles Garrett-level player, a T.J. Watt-level player. I think uh, maybe, what, nine and a half sacks, I think, was their sack leader this year? I mean, so we're talking about a guy who, who, who did something that no, no one else here has done, but yet you know, ha- couldn't really get the full effect of that, I think, because on the back end in their secondary, there, there was not this, the complementary parts of that defense that you like. Um, defense is complementary. You know, coaches say this all the time, and it's, it's cliche, but it's true. You know, the, the rush depends heavily on the coverage, and the coverage depends on the rush. Uh, on the rush excuse me. And so when those guys get home, you want them throwing into a really tight window. I'm talking about when the, when the rush gets home, you want the quarterback throwing into a really tight window. And these guys are good enough that if, if the rush gets there and someone is, is just a little bit open, they'll get the ball there. You know, they can hold out and get the ball there. If the coverage is tighter, it's going to be much, much harder. Uh, so there were just too many, I think, wide open guys. And if you're tighter with the coverage, that doesn't happen. But, but honestly, after you trade – uh, Stephon Gilmore after Isaiah Rogers uh, gambling adventures and and then assorted injuries. I mean, you're talking about practice squad level players in, at times back there. And I mean, I don't care who the defense coordinator is. It doesn't matter. It it really doesn't matter. I can't remember, Stephen. Is Rogers still under contract for next year, or did they release him when the suspension so came? He was he was released, and actually, funny enough. The Eagles have his rights now, so he he will be, I, he still has to get reinstated. Uh, but the Eagles, if he is reinstated as as expected this spring, uh, he will be on the Eagles roster. So he, he has and, reinstatement. And frankly, he got reinstatement at plus one fifty, by the way. So he's hoping for that. <laughs> okay, I like his chances, right? <laughs> and so, look, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to take another shot at the Eagles because this is just so fun. Um, they could have used him last night, frankly. <laughs> I mean, anybody with a pulse, they could have used in their secondary. So, Or anybody who's ever made a tackle in their life. You, you, you had alluded to this earlier, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest, covers the Colts for ESPN.com. I kind of said it to Jake off here. I don't know if I've said it publicly on these airwaves. I, I'm not a Nick Sirianni fan. He gives off a fake vibe to me, kind of a tool vibe at times, the way he acts on the sidelines. He yelled at Chiefs fans safely in the tunnel at Arrowhead when they won a regular season game this year, and then they suddenly <laughs> collapsed. He was yelling at Colts fans last year after the you know Frank Reich's gone at that point. He's talking to them about beating them and how much it meant to him because I get it. It's his former coach and mentor, but I don't know. He's always given off a fake vibe to me. I will give one caveat to last night. Like I think that's probably a different game if A.J. Brown can go because yeah. their offense is is what it is that we can take one key piece like that away, it crumbles. 
What have you felt like in this collapse of Philadelphia when it comes to Nick Sirianni? And as you've highlighted, it's pretty clear both his coordinators, but especially Shane Steichen, were missed at times this year. Yeah, their their offensive philosophy right now is 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 like fifth grade level. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't function. And there's there's still some talent out there. I mean, I know they lost. They were missing their their most important player on offense outside of Jalen Hurts. But I mean, Devontae Smith is I mean, a fabulous player. They've got tight ends. Uh, they can run the ball when they need to. Uh, they they still have some some pretty good pieces on that offensive line. And you wouldn't have known any of that watching that game. I, I don't think they got very much out of any of those players. So outside of maybe Devonte making a handful of plays, uh, they are, I, I don't think they are accentuating Jalen hurts and maximizing his abilities whatsoever. And we know who can Shane Sykin did it last year. He did it this year with Gardner Minshew a much lesser quarterback, right? So, anyway, they, they've got a lot of issues. The one thing I'd say about Shane Steichen is that – I'm sorry, about Nick Sirianni, excuse me – is that, look, he does have a little bit of, uh, you know, frat bro in him. There's no doubt about it, right? And that, that doesn't always play well, especially when, you, when you're getting your heads beat in. It does not play well, in a, particularly in a city like Philadelphia, right? No one – no one wants you to, you know, you, you can't be the, the badass when, when you're not getting it done in that city. That doesn't play. However, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where when the team is rolling and they're playing well, his personality jives pretty well. I'd agree with, with that. that. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the problem when you're a blustery guy and when you're the guy who, you know, is all about giving off confidence and, you know, we're going to beat these guys and, you know, and, and you, that's kind of what you're about. Then it plays really well. And I actually would go a step further and say he had the perfect counterbalance here with Frank Reich, who is not that whatsoever. And then you had Nick Sirianni, who was the guy who would get in there and two people out and the guy who would, you know, kind of be the raw, raw guy. Whereas Frank Reich could stay within his own personality and and motivate in his own way, and then Sirianni could play off of him. It was perfect, and I do think that they that was a good match. Frank lost something when he lost Sirianni, but I also think now he has <laughs> now you have Sirianni uh, who doesn't maybe have that counterbalance. That when you go into a tailspin, you can't get in there and and be the you know the big talker and to pull your team out of that. And I think that's that's one of the hardest things. Um, I'm not going to go to the to the extent and say that you know he he's not the right coach or anything, but but certain coaches are good for certain situations. Um, I, I will tell you, for example, I covered John Gruden years ago, and I always felt John Gruden was great in 2002 for a team that was on the verge of the Super Bowl that Tony left them, but they couldn't get there, and he was the perfect guy to get them there. And then they had to rebuild it a couple of years later, and he didn't know what to do with that. And so for six more years, he sat there trying to figure out how to rebuild that thing, and he just couldn't do it. And so anyway, certain coaches are good for certain situations. Ten and one, Sirianni was great. When they've lost six out of seven, maybe he's not great. Steven, if for some reason Green Bay is able to defeat San Francisco and Detroit beats Tampa and the Ooh. NFC Championship game is at Ford Field in Detroit, 
Uh, I'm in. You want to go? I, I, I say we. I don't know if you have to cover it. I say we just go. That would be amazing. I know. Um, I, I think you have to work in Eminem in some capacity. Like, you know, he's got to do the coin flip or something, right? I mean. <laughs> he was at the last game, right? I know, yeah. And there was a scene there. They they played they played one of his songs, and I think the whole the, the whole crowd knew the lyrics and started rapping in unison. I mean, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, uh, an NFC championship game at Ford Field. Yes, I am in. That All is right. that All would right. not be bad entertainment. We'll have. Well, I'll, I'll get the M and M's, and we'll just eat those on the way up. You're <laughs> driving though, and then uh, we'll go to the game. And the whole time, you can talk about my perfect analogies. Which I love. That's great. It'll be fun. There's, a, there's been at least two of them. Ever. <laughs> I was going to say, that'll get us to Fort Wayne, and then after that, we're on our own. Uh, Steven, right. appreciate the time as always, man. Good conversation. All right, guys. See you All soon. Right. Steven Holder, ESPN.com. We should, we should do it. Lions in the NFC Championship game. Steven and I are on our way. Did Eddie and I get bumped? Because you gave us that invite yesterday, and I'm confused what no, just happened. No, we'll just take a big caravan. And what you just said there Bob was Stephen and I are on our way. It sounds like me and Eddie well, got okay. left, left behind. I think it's because we haven't seen Shawshank. It could also be, though, because we haven't Have complimented still him not enough. Seen Shawshank? I thought we were doing a group watch yes, party. That's exactly. what you said. I've, I've been, you told us that Jake, you would I've been, invite I've been, us over. Jake, I've been guys, saving my Shawshank so you for you, Jake. Us, Have you guys figured out yet that movie. when I have sleep deprivation that like I can't, can't remember anything? Fair. Ask Kevin and... and uh, Mark about it. They're, they're well aware. Uh, Todd Leary, when we had Brian Cardinal on earlier, we were talking about Indiana and Purdue. And Brian Cardinal came on. Todd Leary texted me and said, I have rebuttals from the IE standpoint. So we will find out from the former Indiana guard his thoughts. He's been he's watched a lot of Indiana as well. So we'll get him to break down tonight's game. We'll do it next. So today, uh, tonight, I should say, down in Assembly Hall, big one. Purdue and Indiana rivalry resumes. Mike Woodson three and one against the Boilermakers. Purdue coming in, of course, after an incredible pre-Big Ten schedule, but two losses so far in the conference: Nebraska and Northwestern. Those teams shot the ball really well. Indiana has yet to really do that consistently in a game. Joining us to talk about that, and in his own words, now I'm going to read exactly what Todd Leary said to me. Todd, I want you to verify that this is what you said. I have rebuttals to Brian Cardinal. I have lots to say, is what you said. <laughs> right? Well, when don't I have lots to say? <laughs> that is a fair well, point. Most people would say. <laughs> that is a fair point. Um, all right, first off, just your overall – I'll bring you in the same way that I did Cardinal and just talking about the Purdue-Indiana rivalry. You know, you're a guy that grew up in the state of Indiana. You grew up watching IU. When was the moment that you realized, or what was the moment that you realized the depth of the rivalry? Because that was when did you have your coming of age that Purdue was a team you did not like? Um, I don't think it was by choice. I think it was pretty much a family um, trait. And and you know, Sundays the Bob Knight Show was basically our church, and so. You know, we just, my, my mom and dad loved Indiana basketball. They loved Bob Knight. Um, they just loved the whole discipline aspect of it. Obviously, they loved the winning side of it. And so, you know, it's just – it's what I grew up knowing. You know, it's it's it was just the way that things were. And, you know, I, it's it's funny because I, I really enjoyed listening to Brian Cardinal. And, yeah, he, he would definitely be on my list as one of my most hated – Purdue Boilermakers, um, as a player, not a person. 
Um, and I hope he takes that as a compliment, but, um, certainly just, just growing up, it was one or the other, like all of my friends, a lot of them, Greg Akers and a lot of those guys, we were all just Indiana fans. Like we all just liked Indiana. And then there was the Doug Bowens of the world who their parents went to, went to Purdue and they were the Purdue people. And so, you know, we, our friends, we were all friends, but boy, we loved to have this rivalry. So as a player, my question for you, Todd Larry, is, you know, and I'd mentioned this earlier, I, we as fans or as students have like this hatred, right? And then like it was almost like this disappointment of reality of finding out, wait a minute, you guys actually kind of got along with one another. But <laughs> but from that playing standpoint, and, and certainly you were part of the famous locker room of Bob Knight going off, like we're not going to lose to Purdue, you better go up there Monday night and play or you're not going to eat supper, the whole, the whole deal, the whole nine yards. As a player, what was the rivalry like, or was it another Big Ten game? No, so you know, Coach Knight's big thing, and th- and this is where this is where you almost have to you know read between the lines a little bit. But his big thing was no game is more important than another, and you know I I don't think Coach Knight was a real winking kind of guy, but I think he kind of gave us the head nod and the eyebrow raise where Kentucky and Purdue were different. And, and, you know, he didn't even really – he didn't, definitely didn't have to say it. But the fact that there's two games you better win, it doesn't mean if you lose all the rest of them and win those, like, you're going to be okay. Like, he's not going to be bad. That's not an issue. But um, those are games that you better win. And, you know, it, it certainly uh, was never said in those particular words but it didn't need to be. And and we knew what it was. One of the biggest differences today, and the rivalry's not any different. I mean, the fans don't hate each other more today than they did before. Just social media is a lot different than it was back then. If you would have read some of the letters that we would receive those, I mean, we get a lot of, we used to get a lot of letters from, you know, kind of fans. And then we used to get a lot of letters from other teams' fans too that were not very nice. And, and, you know, in this day and age, I wish I had held on to a lot of those, especially Bailey. Bailey should have held on to his. He could have written a book just on publishing those. But that's the that's what makes it fun. I mean, you know, like last week, Indiana beats Minnesota. Yes, it's a good win. You have to have it. It's, um, you, it you have to have it. No one's going to tell me that feels the same as beating Purdue. Not even close. Todd Leary joins us. Todd, this will definitely be a – non-biased honest answer and you know as a fellow IU alum I I jest here but when you were a part of the rivalry and in the years that have followed since the little brother syndrome's a real thing right like that's not something IU fans made up that's real yeah it's real it's real and and, you know it's, it's almost like it's the little brother syndrome and then you know the little brother and bigger and stronger and faster. <laughs> it's it's tough to you know like like I'll say this and, and and you know some of the Indiana fans have probably turned the station as soon as I say this, but I mean what what I hate most about Purdue right now is the fact that their offense is as close as you could possibly get in today's college basketball world, and it has evolved. It's not the same thing, but it's as close as you could possibly get to being a hybrid between the motion offense and today's pro-style offenses that everyone runs. And so that's why I, I enjoy watching Purdue play because they look very similar. 
if, if there was a Bob Knight team, if Bob Knight was 50 years old in today's world and he was coaching a team, I think his team would look would play on offense very similar to what Purdue plays like. And so for me, that joy watching them play, they're good. I don't. Th- I think Indiana fans, um, ne- neither team enjoys this near as much. Team sucks. I mean, it's more. It's much more fun when they're both good and you feel great about beating up on them. I mean, the little brother thing. I mean. When when you're 15 and your little brother is six and you beat up on him, I mean that's ah, not that fun. But when you're when it's a competitive match, that's when it becomes fun, and and that's why this thing is so. I love that they hate us. I'm sure they love that we hate them. It's that it is. Todd, who was your least favorite Purdue player of all time? Greg Riley. <laughs> no second answer. You probably won't get that from anyone else. His name probably won't be brought up, but I'll tell you why. Because we lost to them in a game, I believe we could have clinched. I think we tied for the Big Ten. That's ninety-two, title. right? Yeah, I think so. And 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 when we got on, we lost that game, and that's right there with the Duke loss. Like that's one that stuck in Coach Knight's crawl for a long time. But when we got on the bus, he blasted the interview as loud as it could possibly be on the bus. But you know how loud those radios can be he blasted the post-game interview of craig riley and and they're great like i'm not even trying to rip on them i'm just saying like we should have easily beat them that should have been a game that we clinched the big 10 title it was a definite disappointment we didn't win it outright by ourselves and craig riley on there talking about their entire season was made by us the, that interview will stick with me forever, and he's my all-time least favorite. And he's the nicest guy. He, I've met him several times, nicest guy in the world, and I hate him. <laughs> Did you tell him that? Of course. You know me. You know me. Of course I did. All right, fair enough. Uh, Todd Leary, our guest. Todd, what does Indiana need to do tonight? I mean, and don't say score more points. Um, what it, you know, you've seen this team. Your thoughts on Indiana, and in particular, I, I'm I'm over Xavier Johnson. I'm not going to lie to you. I, at, at this point, I don't get it. Um, he's too old to be doing the stuff he's doing. I think he's a detriment more than he's helping at this point this season. But that's a whole different talk show, I guess. Uh, what is Indiana, or is Xavier Johnson actually the key to tonight? Because i got to shoot from the outside. Yeah, I don't know if key is the right word, but I think he's a big um, a part of it. I think he does need to be a part of it. Um, they're, they're super, super inexperienced at guard without him. And so, um, I, I think it would be, uh, hugely beneficial if he has a good game and I don't mean score. He doesn't have to score 15 points. He doesn't have to do anything crazy, but he definitely has to defend. Um, they've got a lot of guys that you really have to guard or they can, they can kind of go off. And, and so, um, I think his defense will be a huge factor, but but not just talking about him. I mean, on the offensive end, this Indiana team has to be able to dictate what's going to happen, and that means they've got to be able to utilize their two inside guys. Which one of them has a good, has the better night? I don't care, um, and, and I don't think they do either. But I think they need to feed off of each other, get Edie into some uncomfortable situations. Um, I'm a huge Zach Edie fan. Um, I enjoy watching him play. My mom would disagree. She she does not enjoy. It. My mom still has the hatred for Purdue that I should have, I guess. But um, 
this this Indiana team has got to make something, do something different to Purdue um, that than what they've done to other teams, and and that is kind of dictate the way things go offensively and defensively. Playing at home, that should be easier for them than it will be going to Mackey Arena. But um, they've got to be able if Purdue's coming down and running their their you know circle plays where they've got the ball going all over the place and then it goes into Edie in the middle of the lane. If they're able to run that, Purdue will win by twenty. There there will not be a way to stop that. I don't. It doesn't matter what team you're playing against. If they're able to run that, they're going to beat you. Todd Leary is our guest. Todd, you were a 42% three-point shooter in your career at Indiana, and this isn't an exclusive Mike Woodson problem. It's really, and I know that this is not a name that people beloved by any means, but really post-Tom Crean, there's yet to be an IU team that was just highly efficient or highly successful from beyond the arc, and that's spanning two different coaching regimes. They've been at average or below average usually from a three-point shooting standpoint. Why is that, or is that just a weird, like, coincident quirk aspect of what like the last two coaches have been for two or three seasons you could say it's a coincidence or unfortunate circumstance but not when it's gone on for this long and and you know this team um when you look back at the really good bob knight teams and even you know the the um teams and and yogis and those guys like they had multiple guys that could knock down shots. And and that's why, I hate to flip it back to Purdue, but, I mean, that's why Purdue, I think, is when they've got multiple guys that are making shots, they're really, really good. And when you have a basketball team that has multiple guys, um, you know, I say to my postgame show all the time, like going back to the, the games, the teams that I was on, I mean, I thank you for bringing it up. I, I'll make sure that I highlight that part of the show that you said there in my 42%. But, I mean, I was probably the sixth best option at best on a good day. So we just had tons of guys that could shoot. And that makes up for um, – I know when, you, when your team doesn't shoot that well, coaches tend to downplay the importance of it. And, and honestly, I think that's what Coach Woodson does because Coach Woodson was always a good shooter. I um, don't think he ever really struggled or was really in situations where their team struggled. And this team struggles. There's no doubt about it. Like, even when they, um, you know, they got off to a great start in the Auburn game. I mean, that was flukish. Like, they had, I don't think anybody felt great at that timeout when they're up by 12. Like, I know I didn't. And so, I just, this, this Indiana team has got to improve. Um, and that part of that's going to happen next year. You know, I really, I think, I think given the circumstances, and Baco will probably be back next year. And and to have him and the incoming guy of Liam McNeely, I, yes, I'm being an Indiana guy already. Looking to next season and who we've got coming in. But but I mean, I, I feel good about the way that it's going to go. You think if Baco does come back right now, you think McKenzie and Baco comes back? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he would be a first-round draft pick right now, even though he was projected to start the season as that. I don't think he will be um, when the season's over, unless he just has. If he is, then he's boy, we're in for a heck of a second half of the season. Okay, how about Khalil Ware? Is he back next year? Nope. Nope. No chance. I mean, he's going to get drafted too high. And, and, I mean, I don't think anyone would, outside of just being a straight-up Indiana fan that wants to see him play, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, you'd probably been better off to ask the Pacers guy you had on. 
if he's going to get drafted or not, but I think he's going to get drafted on potential alone. Todd, do you like the way Indiana's coached? There we go. For a second there, I thought I stumped you. Do you do you like the way Indiana's coached? Do you like the job that Mike Woodson's done this year with this group? I do. You know, I like the, where the program is. I don't think this team's where they should be, um, and I, I don't think the Coach Woodson would disagree with that statement. Um, I think that that he expected them to be farther along. I think they expected Mbako to uh, adjust a little bit better. I think they expected Xavier to have a much better start to his. 17th season I think that they expected I, I think they're surprised with Malik Renew and Kalel Ware I mean that you have you have basically replaced the production of Trace and Race being gone with those two guys and that I think everyone would have told you would have not happened there been a miracle to happen so yeah I I think that aspect of it they have to feel great about I think the guard aspect of it uh they probably are feeling like they're underachieving a little bit, and I'd hard to argue against that. Todd, I just figured out a 30-year mystery. It's taken me 30 <laughs> years to figure out this mystery. You ready? Oh, boy, yep. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Ted Valentine wanted to see you shoot. Somebody told <laughs> Ted Valentine that you were the sixth shooting option, so in the Duke game, he fouled out the other five and then let you have your run. You didn't know that I have a distant relative that – related to the Valentine. So you're, you're closer to that being true than you think. By the way, Todd Leary, I'll leave you with this. Uh, Mark Monteith, who is a really good dude, and I don't know how well you know Mark, but he also goes to the same gym. Uh, he just texted me to say, hey, thought you'd want to know, I have a column coming up in this week's Indianapolis Business Journal about Craig Riley. <laughs> True story. Man, I can't wait to put that on my refrigerator. That awesome. <laughs> Maybe it's got more quotes, right? I'm going to have a motivational week. I can tell you, 2024 is going to be good for me. I'm going to, I'm going to beat that Craig Riley article to death. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game, and we appreciate the uh, breakdown of the Hoosiers as well. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Todd Leary, former Indiana guard. Um, Good stuff there, you know. In Baco, that's that's interesting that he and I'm listen, with, I'm with Todd's around it a lot. I I, mean, I'm with him on that. I haven't seen enough to this point to think that it would be smart for him to enter the draft. But that I, said, he could still turn but it around. You know what, but Jimmy? I don't here's know. the thing: I, I don't disagree with that. But keep in mind, this is basically the time last year where Jalen Hood Shafino, we were having the same conversation, sure. and then. The light switch went off, and he turned up the wick, and Jalen Huchifino became a, a, a first And I pick. would gladly welcome that, as would Todd, as would all Indiana fans, if that's what happens with McKenzie and Baco. As he said, it'd be, it'll be Because fun they're going to have a heck happens, of a second right? half of the season, yeah. like he said, yeah. Uh, we'll come back. J&B just walked in, so we'll get ready for the handoff and then get you set up for tonight. Indiana and Purdue here. You're listening to Aquarian Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win.
Today's plays of the day. JMV just walked in. John, a lot of scooping. We got a lot of scooping today. All right, I like scooping. Don't worry about it. Scoop gonna, it, Jake. We're going to scoop five and a half. Butler is getting five and a half on the road at Xavier tonight as Rivalry Week takes place around college hoops. Also going to scoop nine and a half for the Indiana Hoosiers. They welcome in the Boilermakers. Mike Woodson three and one against the Boilermakers since he arrived at IU. All four games have been decided by eight or fewer. I think that continues tonight. In that same game, give me Zach Eady over 21 and a half total points. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. The reason why IU's going to be able to cover that nine and a half, Jimmy, McKenzie and Baco's going to hit two threes. Ooh, there you okay. go. All right. That's Is that something. scoop too? Was that scooping? You, you can you can wager on McKenzie and Baco hitting threes? Yeah. Like the apps know who McKenzie and Baco is? Uh, I would uh-huh. I would, I would call foul on that because I can't find that. I thought about including an Ibaco bet. I could not find that in my research. Yeah. Maybe you found it at a book you can show me He's later. He's got to be yes, big. The blue book. Fellas. He's got to uh-huh, be big okay. for all right. doesn't he? Okay. Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah. And has got to be big, I think, in to be honest with you, somebody uh, and Baco's the guy yeah. that I would that would come to mind, but somebody from their backcourt is going to have to score in basically the mid-range. Yeah, what I, it, you could have stopped Huchfina at a period. A Somebody in the backcourt is going to have to score, <laughs> period. <laughs> you're right. Hey, by you're the way, right. I missed out. I walked in when you were talking about Craig Riley. What was that about? I asked Leary who his least favorite player was in Purdue history. And he really? Was about Craig Riley. And he, he like did not hesitate. Every time, this is serious, every time I came up to Big Indy from GC to go to Broad Ripple to watch chicks take whizzes in the sink, um, Craig Riley was always there. He was everywhere. Really? Every bar I ever went to town? in Broad Ripple. There's no. I guarantee you our executive producer, Todd Meyer, got him in free at the Vogue more than a handful of times. I'm betting. I always saw him in Broad Ripple. Always. You know, I, I was just thinking about this after the game tonight. So Purdue, do they stay the night or do they drive back tonight? Because um, if they have Xavier Johnson. They, they drive back. I think they drive back. I know. I know if they have Xavier Johnson driving back, they'll be back Jake. in an hour and a half. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that right? Have him drive the team bus. Just don't go to Taco Bell. No. Right? Man, he goes, can you imagine? He was driving like 150 miles an hour going by the Trojan horse there. <laughs> I, I understand that I am somewhat, especially with you two, analytics nerd here. I get it. I'll wear that hat with pride. When you look at needing to get a quad one win or two on the schedule, there's not a ton available to Indiana. This is one you'd argue you have to have, yeah. even though it's January 16th. They need it. It's a must win, baby, is yeah, what it for, is. For, for IU, it's a must win. Totally. It's a must win for whatever nerdery Jimmy Thank just you. said. Thank but you. yes, that's what it is. Well, his. Indiana will yeah. have played now, what, four of the top five yeah. ranked teams or something like that? Yeah. Yep, they, their own four in quad one but, but games. But can you at least like show yeah. competitiveness against one Correct. of them? That would be yeah. a good start, right? Yeah, and other opportunities. I mean, Wisconsin on the road that hasn't happened since I was three. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not going to count that in the W column. You'll get another opportunity on the 27th on the road against Illinois. But this is one that would do uh, you well, well to on, put the on the road. Resume. You can't count on them doing anything no, against no. anybody on the road. No. Who, who's got Peacock? I do have Peacock. I, I got Peacock. Have, yep, I do too. Noah Eagle joins me. I said I got. Peacock, just because of you, Noah. They peacocked the entire <laughs> Noah's IU like producers. 12 years old, too. I go, I God dang. He's already accomplished more before 12 than I have, and I'm 54. He has, he's never seen Indiana win at Wisconsin, actually, right? No, he's first time doing yeah. a game in Assembly Hall. That's cool. Tonight for him. So, yeah, we'll talk to him a little bit I always like on. the people that are like, First time to Assembly Hall, I got seats in the in the last row of the lower level, and I'm like, well, have hey. fun with that. With the, <laughs> remind, don't stand up quick. Remind me of the time. I think it's when Porter Wag Porter Roberts I almost said Porter Wagner. Porter Roberts, um, I think he spiked the ball at half court or something after that. a win. Todd Foster um, did that too. Yeah, I um I was actually up in the uh, upper deck 
because I had been a part of some B97 in Bloomington promotion where I was in a dunk tank in the old field house before the game. And so you were in the balcony? I stunk, and I was wet and freezing, and I couldn't see anything. It was awful. <laughs> the, the balcony, man, the game, the rumor. <laughs> the balcony is just brutal. Yeah. You'll never want to go again if you sit up there. Yeah, you can't see. You have to sit sideways to see the, the scoreboard back <laughs> there. It's the best. The building's cool, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right, John. So what do you got lined up here next? We're going to do Noah. Noah Eagle coming up. He's got the game on Peacock. We've got Alice Golden, I think, talking about the Pacers. Um, what's his net uh, PFF guy? Yes. What's his nuts? That's what I call him. <laughs> okay. And then uh, and then uh, Greg Rakestraw, who just won a big award. Sportscaster of the Year. Also known as Beat What's the crap Nuts out in of a lot us. of circles, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be it, baby. All right. We'll hand it off to John yeah, here. Th- folks, thanks Have for listening. Have fun asking those questions. I will. We'll Report be, uh, back. We'll be talking about IU Purdue tomorrow at noon.